Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ownership front office, we know we have to do something different. This is not the model we're going to follow. And so that's something we'll take a very hard look at, try to address it, and, um, you know, changes will happen. Words of hopeful optimism by John Mozeliak, Cardinals president of baseball operations. That was his long-term interview that he did with Martin Kilcoin on uh, Martin's podcast, which is up at scoopswithdannymack.com. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, back with you today on a Thursday. So we are live on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. And let's be honest, when Mo says something like that, I can hear every Cardinals fan going, yeah, just like you told us the salary and the payroll was going to go up this offseason. That technically did. Did. But people don't take Mo for his word. But let's let's go down the path that we do. And John Mozeliak says, look, this is about to be a historical bad season for the Cardinals. We can't continue this model. The first question you ask is, okay, what model is he talking about? Not spending a lot of money via free agency, sticking with your prospects too long, not being willing to capitalize on a big trade because you don't want to give up the assets, right? It's the puke point, like what you went through with the Rosarena and Sandy Alcantara. But the other side of that is what T-Bone, you have been preaching for so long, and it's Look for swing and miss stuff because the model that the Cardinals have in place seems to work pretty well for your offense when you're top 10 around Major League Baseball so far this season. But the pitching is the problem. Mo addressed that in the interview that he did with Martin Kilcoin. And if the model is changing, that means you're not going pitch to contact anymore. Yeah, I, I think when he says the model's not changing, I think it can kind of be twofold. One, maybe they become more open. I think it's one of two options. I think you, you become more open in spending more money and potentially maybe not saying we're going to be start spending money like the Mets, but we're going to be more open to those long-term contracts with starting pitchers, like what uh, Garrett Cole got when he was on the market, a 10-year deal. What Rodon got, which was, I think, a five-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. Aaron Nola, probably going to gather somewhere between a five- to seven-year deal. So maybe part of that model that he's talking about is becoming more open to those kind of deals. I also think what he also is talking about that, I think for sure he's definitely mentioning how the model is going to change and they're going to be looking for more swing and miss stuff, knowing that this pitch to contact is not working for the St. Louis Cardinals. So that that's kind of my expectation is when he says the model is changing, we need to change the model. My first thought when I heard that was, okay, swing and miss is coming. They're going to go out there and they're going to be looking for arms that strike out guys. They're going to be looking for arms when it comes to this trade deadline in terms of, all right, let's go out. Let's get a guy that's either in high A, double A, triple A, but his upside is he's got swing and miss stuff. He's got an electric fastball, electric wipeout, curveball, or slider. Maybe a nice changeup in there as well. So I think that's what he means when he says the model is changing. I think payroll-wise, I think payroll will probably go up, but I don't think it's going to go up significantly. 
if anything, they just become more open to longer-term contracts. Yeah, I mean, for me, when when I originally thought that he was speaking of payroll, let's be honest, his mindset and his method can change, but that's not going to change the DeWitt's method if they're willing to spend more money. Now, maybe you are willing to give guys a little bit more term on their contract, willing to bring in pitchers on longer deals, where typically you're not okay with that, but when you think more about it, it is the swing and miss stuff. The one thing we know about the Cardinals is they love guys who pitch to contact. The Miles Michaelises, the KKs when they brought them over, even a Mike Leak when they brought him over. You bring in guys, Lance Lynn was another one that worked so well here. You worked well with pitch to contact. And Nolan Arenado, who talked about it at the All-Star break, that, you know, felt like the shift really or the ban of the shift really impacted the Cardinals, at least on the defensive side, because they were so good with it. That mentality has to change. And when you look at the rotation, when we saw what Steven Matz did in that final game before the All-Star break, I personally looked at it and said, man, how do we get that every fifth day from Steven Matz? And then when Jordan Montgomery goes out there, and think about it, when Jack Flaherty is at his best, he's he's racking up seven, eight, nine, maybe ten strikeouts in a game. That's something that they lack in the rotation. And it's absolutely something that they lack in the bullpen with the exception of Jordan Hicks. Ryan Helsley's strikeouts went down this season. Giovanni Gallegos has not been a strikeout machine for them. And when you have the manager clamoring for more swing and miss stuff, if you're changing your methods, then it's getting away from this. Well, we need to get the guy who knows how to to hit bats so our defense can make the place. No, we need to start finding guys who are above the rest with the swing and miss stuff. Yeah, when you look at the rotation, I, I think we talked about this earlier in the week. The The band of the shift, I think, really hurt the Cardinals. Nolan Arnato said that during his All-Star game, media availability before the events got underway. So now you got to look to move away from that. And when you when you look at what the car, where the Cardinals are at, they're in a perfect time, kind of a perfect time frame to kind of make this pivot that we're talking about because you're going to have three, maybe even four, depending on how Matt's pitch is down the rest of the way and what they determine his role will be in 2024. You're in that perfect kind of spot to where this is the year you can make that pivot in the offseason and you can go out and you can start looking for those guys that have the swing and miss stuff. And again, it could be guys, and I know like this has been a hot-button topic here in St. Louis, and me and Grant were kind of talking about this in the office. It can be five-and-dive type of starters that are going to be that way. I know a lot of people say, well, the Cardinals, they're not getting enough innings from their starting pitching. They're right in the middle of the pack. Like yeah. they're, they're fine. It's not a matter of innings pitch that's the issue for the rotation it's a lack of effective innings and the same can be said for the bullpen for the st louis cardinals sure they've got some guys that have electric stuff but it's not all that effective and it's leading to ineffective innings and it's why they have the most blown saves across major league baseball so this model when when you're looking at how they're going to approach things i think it is kind of twofold i think they're going to change some of their spending habits i don't quite know like what where my finger is on the pulse of how they're going to do that just yet I think it is going to be willing to pay more money towards starting pitchers. Yeah, I think typically when you go into an offseason and you hear the names of Nola, Snell, Urias, the top-end guys, you think, well, okay, just cross them off. That's not going to happen. You might have to change that. Here's the other thing, too, T-Bone. And somebody brought this up on our Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. Yeah, but everybody around Major League Baseball wants swing and miss stuff. And now that comp- c- creates competition And if you're competing with other teams who are willing to spend more or make trade more assets, well, now you're left upstream with no paddle. And that's absolutely true because the Cardinals don't have the M.O., for lack of a better phrase, 
of getting into a bidding war for certain players. They'll they'll push it and then they'll say, well, we did, we gave it our best shot and we walked away from it. Like I'm thinking of the David Price they, they conversation. Kind of, yeah, they kind of feel like that guy you see in the television show that just raises the price, raises the price, and then goes, <laughs> we're out. Walks away. Yeah, the bidder's <laughs> like, ah, in, it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's too much for my blood. It only goes up like 10 cents. But that the competition will pick up if you're solely trying to build off of swing and miss stuff. The good news for the Cardinals is you've got a lot of prospects that other teams want. You've got a lot of players that other teams want. Welcome to the puke point. And this is my other side of this. If you're changing your method, well, then you better fix your talent evaluation in terms of signing the right guys. Because when you go down the blunder, that is the Cardinals decision-making on free agents in terms of signings, it has not gone well for them. The Mike Leakes, the Greg Hollins, the Drew Verhagens, the Dexter Fowlers, the Brett Cecils, like, when they go to the market and say, yeah, we have to fix this and we're willing to spend money, that doesn't go well because they're not going for the top end. They're going that next step down so they don't have to compete. You might have to start competing against other teams to bring in the pitchers that you want. Yeah, and like you said, their recent track record, and that was the thing Mo wanted us to look at when he said, why have faith in track me? Track record. Track record. All right, well, I've looked, Mo. You're not very good in free agency. So this is the offseason in which he's going to have to find a way to win in free agency. They've got to become they've got to become winners in terms of their evaluation of the talent in free agency. And I think where that starts is what you're saying, is not settling for those kind of mid-tier guys. Now, I'm not saying you got to go out and sign Aaron Nola and Blake Snell. Like, look, that'd be great, but you probably don't have the payroll Why for that. Why not Julio Urias, too? I actually would want him. Shoulder issues, <laughs> oh, okay. kind of off-the-field yeah, issues. You're right. Um, but I, I, look at, I look at that, and I think you're spot on. I, I think where they're going to have to make that pivot is look at that top-end market. And I think they kind of laid the groundwork for it this year. Now, it wasn't as expensive as what a Aaron Nola or a Julio Urias, who you just mentioned, uh, or a Blake Snell are going to cost. But they did this last year with Contreras. Yeah, Contreras but was the top catcher on the market. Yeah, but you're going to have to start getting into the, the three-digit salaries. Yeah. $100, $200 and, million. Dollars. And that's where it's different, and that's where it's going to be interesting to see if that's what the model change is that John Mozeliak's referring to here is, are you willing to do that? Because I, I think that they would look – they have a harder time – I'm not sure if it's a valuation of talent that struggles the Cardinals. It's the settling on, okay, we got to go to the mid-tier market, yeah. which I think a lot of teams do, and that's fine. And sure, there are going to be misses there. Where the issue is, is they give too many years to the mid-tier market. Yeah, The Brett Cecil was, what, four years? The Andrew Miller was four years. Matt's four years. Dexter Fowler was kind of at the top. See, a two-year deal is okay, but Verhagen just hasn't panned out. Uh, But that's where this is really going to have to change for them is if they're going to start shopping in that big market, that top market, they're going to have to be willing to get that uncomfortable model change of five to seven years. And as you said, the triple digits in terms of the money that is on that contract because I think their biggest loss, and again, I I don't know if it's contract value or I don't know if it's player valuation. It's just they just keep continuing to hand out way too long-term deals for the mid-tier market. Like if Andrew Miller's was a two-year deal, would it be a success? No, but it definitely doesn't sting as bad as it did over four years. Yeah, Brent Cease would have been bad no matter how many years it was. Mike Lee, kind of the same way. So I I think that's where their model is going to have to change. Is it's going to have to be getting uncomfortable and saying, you know what? The current cost of business is a six-year contract in the hundreds of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. for a one or a 1B or even a two right now. 
we've got to get into those waters. We can't keep swimming out here on our own, deep into the ocean, going, let's give four-year deals to number four starters. No, you can't do that anymore, because and that's, that's where they're going to have to make that pivot. And that's always my concern, and that's why if the model's changing, then I hope it's changing in this sense. You see Aaron Nola. You see Blake Snell and say, you know what? We need an ace. We need a guy who's got swing and miss stuff. We need a guy who can carry the load for us this season. Let's attack this. Because past model that the Cardinals have gone about is, oh, that looks good, but let's not go there because that's too steep for us. And we've got internal options. We've got depth. So let's just bring in a guy who fills the void in the middle. Let's get one of those guys that is just kind of that floating around the in-between that makes sense for us, i.e. Stephen Matz, Mike Leak. Let's get that guy because... Well, then Miles Michaelis can be our ace. And look, we don't know what McGreevy or Graceffo could, could turn into. They could be a number two. And if we get this guy, he could be at best a number three for us. That's the old model. The new model is we know that Michaelis at his best is a two, but let's plan on him being a three. Steven Matz is probably going to be a five, but maybe a four. We need a one. We need a two. And let's cover our ass a little bit and get a four. I, and that should probably be the approach to this offseason because we talked about it yesterday. As you mentioned, you know, maybe Graceffo, you know, let's leave open that fifth spot. Let's yeah, I'm see tired if of squinting to see if somebody can fit in. Can do that. And Mo said it in that interview with Martin Kilcoin on Scoops of Danny Mac's website. He said, you know, I think he said Dakota Hudson was a guy that we had penciled into our rotation this year, and he spent all year in AAA. Like, that was kind of easy to look at. I'm the I mean, biggest Dakota Hudson yeah. advocate. I knew that wasn't going to yeah, happen. You really had to squint to see him even being in the rotation this season. So I, I think to your point, and we talked about this yesterday, they can't go into next season going, let's leave a starting pitching spot open. Because that's where, one, you can run into a s- issue there. And then if you start dealing with injuries throughout the rotation, then your depth is really tested. Because if you can't solve one rotation spot, like they've had issues with filling the five this year between Mats, Libby, Adam Wainwright, and then you start dealing with more issues or pitchers start underperforming like they have this year, just the floodgates open in that rotation. That's why it's going to start at the trade deadline. And that's how you start to fix this problem. And we want to hear from you today. What would you deem a successful trade deadline? We're going to discuss that in the 12 o'clock hour. John Denton had some comments on that yesterday with us on our podcast, uh, which you can go check out 101ESPN.com. But send us the mic drops on the 101ESPN app. You can also comment on our YouTube channel at 101ESPNSTL what you would deem a successful trade deadline for the Cardinals. But since we're in offseason mode or talking about the offseason, let's flip over to the Blues because they seem to be done but did they do enough to fix their special teams problems? We'll discuss that on the other side here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So do the Blues do enough this offseason to solve their special teams issues? Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. That, frankly, as much as we talk about questions surrounding this Blues team in the offseason, defense, what their offense is going to be like without O'Reilly and Barbashev and Tarasenko on it, it, it If you want to talk about how you could have changed last season to a team that could have competed for a playoff spot, You talk about special teams. Now, power play was bad, but it wasn't as bad as you think. It just wasn't top five in the National Hockey League. They finished last year 19th in the NHL round. What was it? Uh, 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. They, they finished 22nd in the NHL around 19%. So bad. Not awful. I mean, when you're 19%, 1%, you're talking about the top half of the league. So, okay, bad. I'm knocking around up on the power point. Not as bad as the penalty kill, though. The penalty kill was was abysmal. And, I mean, when you say abysmal, you talk. There were games that they would give up three, four, five, maybe six power play goals. It ended the year 30th in the National Hockey League at 72.4%. And when you look at those two areas, if you're talking about a team that's competing for the playoffs, you probably need to be in the top half, if not the top 10 of the league in both conversations. And when you look at the personnel that they brought in with Kevin Hayes and with now Oscar Sundquist and a couple of other depth pieces, I lean more towards the penalty kill that got improved over the power play. Only because Kevin Hayes is a penalty killer. Kevin Hayes is a centerman who can win faceoffs, and we all know Oscar Sundquist is a guy who can block some shots. Now, some of their penalty kill is going to rely on health because if Marco Scandell is out for half or if not more of the season, well, then there's one major penalty killer for you. If Robert Portuzo's not healthy, welcome to not having a penalty killer because, again, if Krug and Letty are playing, not sure you want them on your penalty kill, but adding a Kevin Hayes, adding an Oscar Sundquist, that to me at least increases the penalty kill a bit more. Yeah, I I do think that both sides got a little bit better this offseason. And I I would lean on the side that you were on that the PK is going to be a little bit better. You add in Sonny, who's going to help with that penalty kill. Kevin Hayes, who can do a little bit of penalty killing as well. And as you said, Scandella, you're hoping that he's healthy. But what I'm fascinated to know is how they're going to kind of work that third pair because we've kind of talked about it. There are, what, eight defensemen on one-way contracts. You know who your top four are. So then you've basically got four guys kind of fighting for that last pairing defensively. And how are they going to go into matchups? Are they going to look to add guys with more speed in matchups against like Edmonton, for example, like a Peronovich on the third pair? So you can kind of play more of that up and down style of hockey. Or do you want to wait to where it's like, hey, they got a really good power play. We need our penalty killers on that third pair, like Bortuzzo, as you mentioned, Scandella. So that's where it's going to be interesting to see what their approach is, because it is something that has to be better this year if they want to get back into the playoff conversation is the penalty kills going to have to be better and the power play is going to have to be in probably the round top 10 range, I would say, because they need to outscore their defensive problems that they do have. So I do think both areas got better. I, I think the power play is more kind of the same slight increase. I think they get right into that top half of the league penalty kill. Your hope would be that they can get into that top half of the league as well with the additions that they made. I think for me, I'm with you, Tanner. I think the power play as it is right now will probably be middle of the pack. I think in the NHL next season. And I think that's what you should hope that the penalty kill could get to. I don't think you're going to go from a bottom three team in the NHL last year and penalty kill to all of a sudden being uh, top 15. I think if you could get to middle of the pack, maybe right around 16th, 17th, I think that'd be a pretty good increase for this upcoming season. And again, adding Sunquist, adding Hayes, that's going to help the penalty kill. I think one of the biggest questions for the power play is going to be what can Yakub Verana do this upcoming season? Because in his 20 games with the Blues, he had four goals on the power play. So you stretch that out over an 82-game schedule, and that's about 16 goals on the power play, which would have led the team last season. So can Yakub Verana become that guy that you count on on the power play? We'll see if he is. Then, yeah, the power play is going to take off a little bit next year, more more than it did last season. But, again, I think they improved these things. I wouldn't say they're fixed, though. 
Yeah, you're not going to know if they're fixed until we see them in season because, frankly, at least on the penalty kill side of things, defense is going to be massive. Sticking on the penalty kill real quick, and then I'll shift to the power play. The previous season, 21-22 season, they were fifth best in the National Hockey League on their penalty kill. This was their top 10 ice minutes on their roster for shorthanded time. Marco Scandella played the most, 2 minutes and 11 seconds. Robert Portuzo, 2 minutes and 8 seconds. Right there, health. Health will determine if your penalty kill is improved because those two are your best penalty killers in terms of shot blocking. Then you get to Colton Pareko, got to have a better season. Oscar Sundquist was fourth that season. So you add him back into this. This is the key one. Ryan O'Reilly played a minute 52 that season, fifth most ice time. My hope is that Robert Thomas, who that season was seventh in ice time, fills that spot for Ryan O'Reilly, and then you're implementing Kevin Hayes into the Robert Thomas spot, and then you get to Justin Falk, Pavel Buchnevich, Nico Mikola, and Tyler Bozak. So you got a couple of other complementary pieces that fill in there. You know, does Tucker fill that role of Mikola? Bozak, is that a Torupchenko or a Sammy Blay? You've got the right pieces. To me, your penalty kill resides solely on the defense improving a little bit but it's more so than anything having Marco Scandella and Robert Portuzo all season long. And, and that's why for all the talk of like, you know, Jordan Cairo's got to be the guy that takes that next step for the Blues to get back into the playoffs or for the Blues to take the next step as well. I think Thomas is right up there at number tied for number one, if not number one, for a guy that yeah. needs to take the next step. He because, and Jordan Cairo. Yeah, and, and I think they're probably one of the same because they're probably going to be on the same line. But for Thomas, it's not just point production that you're looking for because his point total was down last year from 77 to 65 points. The reason you're looking for Thomas to take that next step is, one, I think it's fair to have a question if he's a number one center in the NHL right now. And look, he's going to be 24 this season, so he's still pretty young. He's still got time to develop into that role. But it's not just points. It's going to be, can he play the 200-foot style of game more? Can he show that he's a number one centerman? Can he be a guy that on the penalty kill kind of does what you were just talking about, fill that role of Ryan O'Reilly and be on that top unit and help killing penalties? Because for them to get into that playoff picture again, their penalty kill has got to be way better. They cannot have a bottom five, even bottom ten penalty kill, I would say, if they have any aspirations of being a playoff team this year. And I think this roster has a shot, at least a shot, to be a playoff team. Now on the Excuse me, on the power play side of this, that to me is only going to come if you get the offense from the right guys. Tori Krug, Jakub Verana filling that spot, all those goal scoring. But the other side of your power play, and frankly on your penalty kill, but I'd lean more on the power play side of things because this is how you lose time in your own zone, is your face-offs. And as much as we're going to talk about you fixing your special teams problems, did you fix your face-off problems? And Eddie Olchek was on uh, with the fast lane yesterday, and he was talking about Kevin Hayes specifically and said, don't expect him to win a lot of face-offs. That's not what you want to hear when you're going into a new acquisition of a centerman. But where I would push back with Eddie Olchek on is Kevin Hayes is a career 2% less face-off percentage than Ryan O'Reilly. So he's not as good, but he's right there with a Ryan O'Reilly. Your face-offs, if you're wanting to be better on the power play, have to improve. And to me, it's going to get better because you're adding a Kevin Hayes into this roster. And frankly, at the end of the season, we were talking about Pavel Buchnevich taking face-offs. So right there, you're increasing. But once again, T-Bone, you're going back to Robert Thomas. And now you're adding in an Oscar Sundquist. And the versatile side of things for the Blues is 
You've got multiple guys who can take face-offs now because Buchnevich can take face-offs. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes he's not good. You've got Shen. You've now got Hayes. You've got Thomas. The more versatility you have in terms of winning face-offs, the better your numbers are going to look at the end of the season. And if you're winning more face-offs, you're talking about more power play ice time. So that's going to have to be another area that's viewed at improving the season. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you. I think it is going to be better because I do think some of those numbers, I don't want to say they were hurt so significantly when you started playing Booch at center, but it was clear they needed to make an upgrade from Pavel Buchnevich at center and make him more of a guy that can play center in a uh, dire need. And, and when they brought in Hayes, yeah, he's not historically known as a face-off guy, but he gives you more of a fighting chance than what Pavel Buchnevich did when he was at center yeah. at the I end mean, of the year. He's almost a career 50% face-off yeah. guy, so there you go. And... and how many times, not even just on special teams, was it last year where it was like, okay, man, momentum feels like it has shifted towards, I'm just going to use Colorado as an example here, Colorado's side, and now they've got a face-off inside your own zone, and you lose that face-off. Or you get the puck in, you get the goalie to freeze it, and then what happens, you set out your top line and they lose the face-off. Like, it was one of those kind of small, I don't know if you want to say it's a small thing, but it was one of those kind of subtle things that... You don't really kind of notice it until you start to look into the numbers and go, man, this team was not where they needed to be on the dots last year. And that was a factor into being pinned in their own zone sometimes, not being able to sustain offensive zone pressure, penalty kill not being as good, the power play not being as effective as well. You know what really hurt them that in terms of the faceoffs? Guys, Ivan Barbashev was 38% last season. Like, yeah. Ivan Barbashev was not a good face-off man for them. And now you're adding another face-off guy. Frankly, you're adding two because, what, Sonny ended last year around 42 43% in terms yeah. of face-offs. So it, you're slightly improving there, but all of these are correlated together. And when you look at the roster moves that they've made, sure, it's not a lot, but adding a big centerman who's a career 50% face-off guy can benefit this team in both areas for the St. Louis Blues. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got questions and answers. You can send us your questions on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. But coming up next, the Cardinals, they might have added a little more fuel to the fire of Adam Wainwright for the rest of this season. And Mo had some pretty strong words regarding that. So we'll discuss those next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to you UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, he and I have chatted. Um, you know, he certainly wants to come back and pitch. He, he, he really wants to prove he can do this. But there's a phys- physical element to this. And, uh, you know, out of respect for what he's done for this organization, we're certainly going to try to allow for that to happen. But we also have to be realistic. If it's not going to happen, then, you know, that page may have to be turned. 
It was John Mozeliak chatting with Martin Kilcoin. That interview, the Kilcoin conversation up at scoopswithdannymac.com. Full interview that uh, Martin did with John Mozeliak. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, uh, but then the full interview dropped early yesterday afternoon. And, well, we got this piece on Adam Wainwright. And, frankly, T-Bone, you, myself, and BK, when we heard it, all reacted to, whoa, did Mo really just say that about Adam Wainwright? And look, Wayno is still on the injured list with this right shoulder strain or whatever it is that's impacting him. We're not really sure. We'll find out hopefully more information tomorrow when he could return from that. But in all honesty, I'm glad that Mo said that because Mo's starting to take a he's starting to take steps down the Doug Armstrong path of look, we want to respect the guy for what he has done with our organization. But now you have to start talking about results. And frankly, the results are it'll be over a month before Wayno pitches again in terms of the ability to go more than six innings. The last time he went over six innings was June 17th. Since then, it's been three innings, one and two thirds, three and a third. Now, some of that can be the shoulder strain that he's dealing with and why he went to the IL and it just flared up enough for him. But Mo making the comment of, look, if it doesn't go the way, if we don't get the results we need, then there might need to be discussion for something else. And we heard Wayno say on the opening drive, the last time he was on with them, I'll be the biggest cheerleader possible. If I can't be on the mound, I'm going to be in that dugout. But those are some really strong words from John Moselock going into the second half. Yeah, I'm frankly surprised that that is the conversation that Mo, or even the point that Mo made in that interview, because... I just assumed, you know, when when the deadline passes, you're going to have two open spots that come apart in your rotation. When you move Monty and you move Jack, and when Wayno's healthy, put him back in for the chase to 200 wins. And he's only two wins away. And you only got to go five innings to try and get that. So he may not even have effective starts. Just go five innings, be eligible for the win, and then maybe you can get him there, and then maybe you figure it out from there. But the fact that he's saying it's going to be kind of performance-based was a little surprising because, one— it's not really the Cardinal way in terms of how they've kind of stuck with their um, legacy players. Like we all remember Carpenter struggles and the Cardinals did not want to DFA Carpenter. And I'm I'm not saying that's what Mo was referring to. He could have been just referring to a move to the bullpen where he becomes a long reliever, but it certainly sounded like a willingness to part with a legacy player if he can't figure it out this season. Um, so I was a little fr- frankly taken aback by the him saying that because I don't even think they have arms to, are really deserving of an opportunity to prove themselves in the rotation. Like, I think you know what Matthew Libertor is. I I don't think you want to see Dakota Hudson in the rotation even after the deadline. Maybe you do. Maybe Zach Thompson gets a look, but I'm not sure he's ready to be up at the major leagues as a starter. Michael McGreevy, we talked to Kyle Reese earlier this week, said he's probably a year away. He needs more refining in AAA. You don't want to kind of force him up here to the big leagues. So, I'm surprised that this was what Mo was saying. Now, I, I do disagree of him all of a sudden be taking the, like, Army approach. Because if he's taking the Army approach, he wouldn't be on the roster right now. And I mean that, like, he wouldn't have been signed Agree, back. Agree, but I wonder if reality is starting to hit to John Mozeliak. I, I don't know where this change kind of came from. Uh, I, don't other- think it, I don't think he's becoming more like... Army, because I think it's possible you see Goldschmidt extended, and I don't think Army would do that if you were running the Cardinals. Here's the thing on the Wayno front of it, and this is just the sidebar with it. Even Doug Armstrong, if he was running this team, Wayno would be back because this was more of an ownership thing than anything, I I believe. You had the performance of Adam Wainwright. You had the chase for 200. I don't. I, I think Wayno was here no matter what. But can I be honest with this? 
regardless of how Wayno looks, I don't know if you can just take him out of the rotation the rest of the way if you're chasing 200. I mean, even if it's bad, like to the point of where we've been, who are you putting in his place to the point that you just made? You're not bringing anybody up. Now, if you're aggressive at the trade deadline and you bring in some starting pitchers and you sit there and say, well, these guys need reps, I can understand that. But in my opinion, you're going to be shipping two guys out of that rotation. So you don't have enough bodies that you could say, well, we need to see what he has. You not, you double down on to see if Wayno could have one more season like he just had. It hasn't worked out. But to yank him out of the rotation, let's say by the middle of August, because the performance hasn't backed up, I don't know what good that does. If anything, you'd want to keep seeing if Wayno can start to get 200 by the end of the season. Yeah, and not only try and get to 200, but talk about like maybe your number one ticket seller Absolutely. in the second half. By the end of the season, if you're talking about no playoffs in the last homestand, if Wayno's not on the slate to start, what are we doing here? Yeah, I... That's why this is that that comment was so just kind of eye boggling for me because I, I just didn't understand. I, I can understand where he's coming from, where it is, hey, we want to play the performance. We need him to be better if he's going to be in the rotation. I totally get that. If you, we were talking about a team that's going to be competitive and this isn't a guy that's in his final year, has the track record that Wayno has, and is chasing 200 wins. I mean, if the second half isn't all about development, I can understand that, but again, I. But who are you developing? That's the thing. That's is I just my don't only know. question. And maybe they would say, you know what, we're going to give Libertor more starts because though you guys think you know what he is, we want to give him one final shot. And honestly, who really cares in the second half at that point? Okay, go ahead, throw him out there. Zach Thompson Zach would be Thompson, the other one. Maybe he's the other one. Maybe it's Hudson. Hudson might be the guy that they would decide to do this with because I think Thompson. I mean, he was getting shelled in AAA, and I know he was just on the roster. I, I am anticipating him to be sent back down to Memphis tomorrow and there's some kind of corresponding move because he's basically called up for emergency reasons and there's a reason he didn't pitch. So, but I, I still, I just assumed that the Cardinals were going to throw Wayno out there and just say, you know what? The season's kind of lost. Go out there and get 200. Even if it's going to look ugly, let's try and force him through five innings. We think he can do that once he gets this shoulder ailment fixed and we will just ride it out with Wayno, and he'll go off into the sunset on a disappointing season. But I'm, I'm now not sure that's the yeah. case. Now, I, again, I don't, th- I don't think Mo was referring to, yeah, if this doesn't work out, we're going to DFA Adam Wayne. No. I, I think what would happen is it would probably either be a move to the bullpen or another injury. Yeah, and I, I think that I think that's kind of what he was hinting at. And I again, I'm just shocked that they're. I understand what Mo's saying of t- deciding to go with performance. Totally get it. Like, that's how you want a front office to operate. But the time to go for performance was when you were 10, 15 games below 500 in June and you weren't backing that up. Like, in August, after you trade off Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty and Jordan Hicks, I don't really want to hear the, oh, we're going off of performance base. If we're going off of opportunities, great. But I'm under the assumption there's going to be at least three spots open in that bullpen, two spots open in that bullpen by the post-trade deadline. So if that's the case, then I'd love for you to show me who is more deserving of opportunities in the rotation more than Wayno chasing 200. Because I don't even know if I would hear the Dakota Hudson thing. I think you know what Dakota Hudson is, and I think they know what Dakota Hudson is. And if I've got, see if Dakota Hudson can regain what he had three years ago, or have Wayno try and get 200 before the end of the season, I'd rather go 200 before the end of the season. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you, because I... I do believe I know what Dakota Hudson is. I do believe I know what Matthew Libertor is right now. 
That's I, the one that I can hear the argument for of Matthew really? Libertor. Like, I think that's give him fair. the rest if you want to go for it. Fine by me. I think that's fair. I, I think the one that's interesting is Dakota Hudson yeah. or Zach Thompson or Michael McGree. Like, McGreevy, I don't want to hear the Jake Woodford, but I don't think Woodford's coming back, right? Uh, he's dealing with something. I don't know what his timeline is. I guess Woodford would be another guy that's that they the one could I try. don't want to hear also. But, again, most of these guys, they should have a sense as to what they are. And look, yes, Matthew Libertor is still young, and it's been, what, two big league seasons for him? He hasn't shown you that he's taking the next step. And maybe that will take longer for him. Maybe it will take another year, maybe two, before he really kind of finds his uh, M.O. as a pitcher and how he's going to get big league hitters out. Maybe it takes a move to the bullpen. We don't know. But I feel confident in saying I don't think he can take that next step. The whole reason I said Nolan Gorman, and I know I'm going a different position here, pitching to hitting, but the whole reason I was confident and I made the bold prediction early or right on opening day, when we were out at Ballpark Village, yeah, and I said, I believe Nolan Gorman's going to be an all-star this year. Which, man, we look really good man, for a minute. none of the T-Bone threes are going to hit. Now, Matt's having a career year. <laughs> yeah, career low. Well, <laughs> career I mean, year, guys. I get half a point for that. But uh, the reason I was confident in Nolan Gorman was you saw him kind of take strides in season last year. You saw him get timing down where he abandoned the leg kick and he went more to a toe tap, made adjustments. So I, I saw, okay, he's making adjustments. Early in the in spring training, you saw his defense was better. You saw him recognizing fastballs in the zone. So you saw him slowly progressing. Now he's gone into another struggle. We'll see what the progression is for him. Now, how's he going to find a way to get out of this? But with like Libertor, with Hudson, there hasn't been progression. It's just been the same guy that happened yeah. last year. Even, you haven't seen it. Even Mo said that, that they have not seen any improvements with yeah. Libertor that they were expecting on his pitches, and that's why he really hasn't had any of that sustained run with the Cardinals' rotation. Uh, Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Don't forget, send us your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app because we want to hear what you deem a successful trade deadline for the Cardinals. We'll get to that in the 12 o'clock hour. You can also text them to us, 314 314- 399-9646, our Air Comfort Service text line. We'll take your questions and we'll answer them next on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line. You go to our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL and you can post your questions on our chat and can also send us mic drops, 101 ESPN app, answering our question and what we want to hear from you on what would you deem a successful trade deadline for the Cardinals. So send us those mic drops, send us uh, the chats on YouTube, and of course the text for questions and answers alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's start with this one from the 314. Fellas, now that City lost last night, do you still view them as the top team in the Western Conference? I still think they're right there in the top three. Well, they're still at the top of the table. Yeah. Well, even after their 3 0, is it still called a shutout in soccer? Yes. No, clean sheet. Their 3 0 clean sheet loss. We've been over this like twice this week. And I try try and impress people Um, with my MLS knowledge. Well, we just know it's not there for you. They looked good in their their kits, though. But no, I, I, I think they're still one of the top teams in the West. Now, 
But that being said, it's clear that the boogeyman for them that they're going to have to beat to get to the championship is going to be Seattle and it's going to be LA because they've lost both those games 3 yeah. nothing. But with that being said, like... 3-0, last... Tanner. <laughs> Sorry. Amateur over Alex here, Grant. Unbelievable. But, uh, I, I look at the way they played last night and I was actually impressed. Like, I was a little surprised by some of the starting 11 decisions in terms of not having Yarrow in the lineup, not having Jackson in the lineup, uh, Denner not in the lineup. So I was a little surprised by some of those decisions, but I could get it because it's third game and I think eight days and they got to play on and they got to play Saturday against Inter Miami. Um, but I mean, with the, a whole new back line, they played great, I thought, last night against LAFC. And it just kind of snowballed on them after they allowed just a beautiful first goal from L.A. Like, all credit to L.A. That was just fantastic. So I still think they're one of the top teams in the West. I do think they they may be just slightly a step below L.A. and Seattle. We'll see. They get to play L.A. again when they come to St. Louis, and we'll see how they play in that game. But I think right now they belong in that top tier of the Western Conference. It's just a matter of I think they might be slightly behind Seattle in LAFC, but we'll see if, if that changes. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where you get Leuven back as a sub. You hope that Saturday he's back in a starting role. I don't know if they find they a new leg for Klaus. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Ooh, Klaus like can come back here. So. Maybe. Yeah. If it works, <laughs> whatever works. He's been going on for a lot longer than they said it was going to. Who's who's having a longer issue? Him with his quad or Tyler O'Neill with his oh, back? Still O'Neill. <laughs> O'Neill's never been healthy as a Cardinal, apparently. <laughs> But yeah, with Klaus coming back, like if you take the top two players off of any MLS yeah. team, like they're it's not going to play you. well. Here, here's the one thing I will say about City in watching that match. The advantage they're always going to have is they've got the best goaltender. I, I told you guys like Roman Burke, I felt bad for him because he played incredible in that first half and he just got beat by some really nice plays um, by by L.A., that's the advantage that city is going to have the rest of the season is how well Berkey has played. And if they're going to be successful and go on a deep run, it's going to be because of him. Yeah. Berkey Berkey is, I think he should be in some of the conversation for MVP for how well he has played because there've, there have been a lot of games where I can look at and I go, man, they were, they had lost momentum. And then Berkey makes a couple saves to then allow them to get back into it. Or he makes enough saves early in the game to where he allows St. Louis City to kind of find their legs and then get going again. So I I agree with you. I think Berkey's been is a reason why they can just be in any match at any time. Someone asked how I thought the boots were in that match. Oh boy, let me tell you, they looked slick, slick boots, slick kits from the three one four. If a team offers the Cardinals a reasonable trade for Wilson Contreras, should they do it? No. First of all, nobody's going to offer you a reasonable trade for Wilson Contreras for how the season has gone for him. But two, no. I mean, the offense has been one of the top three in your lineup, at least in this last stretch. And I would imagine it's going to be that way the rest of the season for them. And the defensive side of things, figure it out. We signed you to a contract. We're expecting you to be our catcher. Figure it out. But no, I. you can't. You can't trade him away because you now don't have an option on the catcher position. And guess what? There's not as many options for you this offseason that there were last offseason. Yeah, they wouldn't move him if they got a a fair offer, if you want to call it that, because what you said, they don't have they still don't have someone that is waiting in the wings to take over. I know Herrera was really impressive last weekend against the White Sox in his two games, but it's two games for a guy that had some of his own issues defensively and kind of pitch sequencing and handling a staff last year when he was with the team and Kisner Kisner is a 
quality major league backup catcher. He's not an everyday starter. So they wouldn't move Contreras if they got a good offer. And to your point, his offensive numbers are starting to turn around and starting to head in the direction that you were expecting. Look, you're going to have to live with his defensive issues. If Herrera were to showcase like this year and they kept him at the deadline and then he's the backup next year and showcases that he's really good again, then maybe they start to have a conversation. But they're not at that point yet. Yeah. Uh, from the 314, who do you guys have as the top six defensemen for the Blues on opening night, and who would be the seven and eight? Well, we can all agree on the top four, right? Yeah, Letty Pareko. I mean, Krug Fall. Yeah, I think it's kind of forced, to be honest with you. And then, I mean, frankly, I, I don't know if I can hear an argument other than Scandella Bortuzzo as your bottom pair. Yeah, and, and I, then Perunovic and Tucker is seven eight. I would agree. Well, you think Perunovic is going to get hurt in preseason again? Here's the thing. Well, no, but Perunovic <laughs> Come on, is we're also. Oh, sorry. Perunovic is on a one way contract, but I believe he's waivers exempt yeah. for a little while at the beginning of the season. And with how well Callie Rosen played last year, that's going to come down to camp. It's going to yeah. be a. It's going to be a. Because I don't know if they would carry eight defensemen. That that would be wild to me if they did. But I mean, I guess I've seen crazier things, especially for how uncertain it is. It's going to be a competition for two spots between Rosen, Perunovic, and Tucker. Yeah. And whomever plays better is going to get those last two. I was just about to say, I think as the play, as the season plays itself out, it's going to come down to injuries, obviously. But whoever plays better will play. And, and uh, honestly, if I can amend what I just said, Tucker's going to have a spot. I, you don't sign him to that one-way contract unless you truly believe he's at the NHL level. And I really wonder, final year of Robert Bortuzzo, Tucker and Bortuzzo are going to be interchangeable. So really one spot for Callie Rosen or Scott Perunovich. And can I be, I don't think Rosen's going to be on the team opening night because he is on a two-way deal. I think there are other well, guys. Perunovich is waivers exempt, so which means he does not yeah, have to go I, through waivers. I think if they can, I guess that's fair. But That's going to come then, down to camp and preseason. If, if they if, don't want to carry eight defensemen, then I don't see where Rosen's up on the team. It would not surprise me if, what, what do they play? They play eight preseason games, six preseason like games. That, yeah. It would not surprise me if Scott Perunovich plays in all but one or two of those preseason games. Do you think this preseason for the Blues is actually going to be pretty competitive just because there's so much internal competition for spots? I think it's always competitive. But more so than usual. I think there's more hype for it now. Yeah. Because you know what the top nine is. There's competition for the the bottom line. Now with Oscar Sundquist on the roster, there's competition on the defensive side of things. And I know this sounds crazy because Joel Hofer played so well, but I do wonder if they view this and say, Joel Hofer, you're going to have to prove yourself in preseason. Oh, see, I think he's a lot because who I guess maybe Subban. Malcolm Subban played well for Vegas in the last few seasons. And again, I'm not saying Malcolm Subban steals the job from Joel Hofer, but I do think that there will be some eyes on him in preseason for how important that backup goaltender role is going to be. I think the only way Malcolm Subban challenges Joel Hofer is if Joel Hofer is just abysmal in preseason. I don't really see that happening. 618 says Tucker is the third lefty locked in. Someone has to play defense on the left side with grit. I disagree with that. Scandella. Tucker is, yeah, if Scandella is healthy, Scandella is locked in. Especially with how good he is on the penalty kill. Absolutely. He is your best penalty killer. Yeah. And frankly, I, I mean, I know people don't like to hear this because he's not a top pair defenseman, but Scandella plays really well with Pareko. And if he's healthy, he will be the partner of Colton Pareko. That means Krug or Letty will be playing third pair minutes. I don't fully understand the hate that Marco Scandella gets because I, I think he's a pretty solid defense. He gets the same hate that Tory Krug gets because he's paid to be something that he's not, but the expectations were set so high for him that he never lived up to them. 
Like, Scandella played so well in that first stretch when they gave him the contract extension, people were like, oh, they got their guy. He's filling the void of Jay Bomeister, and they gave him a contract extension. And then since then, he's been injured, and he's had his struggles. Tory Krug was brought in as a replacement for Alex Petrangelo. He's been good, but he hasn't been Alex Petrangelo, and so that's when you look at it and you say, oh, well, he's been a bust. But Marco Scandella, Marco Scandella is the sole reason why that penalty kill has been good over the last two, three seasons. And when he's not played, look what happened to this team. It's going to come down to durability for him this year. You got to have him healthy. And if he is healthy, he's either going to help you be a playoff contending team or he's going to garner you a really good trade asset because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Thank you, everyone, for the questions on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Grant Francis, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It's what we've been asking you today. It's what we want to hear your mic drops. What does an ideal trade deadline look like for the Cardinals? Because John Mozeliak seems to think that they're going to be addressing the trade deadline for 2024. What would you need to see and say that's a win? We'll discuss next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think it would be, uh, you know, adding a, a pitching piece that you can count on going forward you know they don't want a guy they're not trading for a one-year guy like Quintana last year uh they want somebody that they can build around um if you can if you can somehow land that without giving up Nolan Gorman if you can somehow land a a a starting pitcher that you can count on going in in the next season uh that that would be a success they're not going to blow this thing up yes they may trade Jack Clarity yes they may trade Jordan Montgomery but they're not trading Paul Goldsmith. They're not trading Nolan Arenado. That, those those two things are just not going to happen. They're not going to blow this thing up. They're, they may make some small t- changes this year, but they're they're planning to try to win next season. That was John Denton of MLB.com, Cardinals Insider, who joined us yesterday on BKN Ferrario. If you missed that interview, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. What does an ideal trade deadline look like for this Cardinals team? Because it's very certain that they are going to be selling off pieces. Mo has made it very clear that they're not going after qualifying offer or draft picks. They're going after 2024. They're not just selling off pieces to be selling off. They're trading to build for 2024. And for me, when I hear that question, T-Bone, of what does a successful trade deadline look like in the state of baseball, I also have to ask myself the question, what do they view next season as? Because if most building for 2024, do they view that as we're in a winning window and we need to win now? Or do they view this as we're building towards something? Because despite what we think, Mason Wynn may not be ready. Some of these pitchers may not be ready. So how aggressive do they want to be, and can they win? When you have Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado on your roster, and Goldschmidt's going into his final year, Arenado's not getting any younger, you have to win now. Because otherwise, what did you make those trades for? You made those trades to win. So to be a successful trade deadline, I view this as the Cardinals are going to have to acquire some type of pitcher for the rotation next year and beyond. That's what we've talked about, whether it's the top end guy of the Shane Bieber or the Dylan Cease, which sounds like he's off the board right now. Or if you go towards the future player, that's going to be a part of that, whether it's one of the guys from Seattle, maybe you call the Marlins. You've got to find 
one piece for that rotation, and then the rest needs to be adding assets that you can make moves in the offseason for. Because if you're only going after quantity at the trade deadline in terms of, well, we got five guys for this player and we got two guys for that player, you're not going to have success. You need to go after quality with those players. The best available pieces that you can get for Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery and Jordan Hicks, Giovanni Gallegos, if you keep going down this list, that's how you set up a successful offseason, and that's how you win on August 1st. Look, I think we know what their goal is for 2024, and it is to be winning again. It is to try and win the division. And because of what you said, they've got Goldie and Arnado. There is no, hey, we'll use next year as a read tool, kind of like what the Blues are doing, where if they get in the playoffs, let's just say it, that's a win for the Blues. I don't think that's necessarily the goal this year. I think the goal is more kind of retool, try to be competitive, but the following year is when the Blues are back into that winning window. The Cardinals, the the goal is to win the division next year. That is the goal. Like it, that is set in stone. And I think Mo basically said that in the interview with Martin Kilcoin. So I, I I look at it as for a successful trade deadline, it is gaining assets for to help build for the future, whether the future is twenty twenty four or if there's an asset that you really like that you think can help you two three years down the road, but also acquiring some pitching help. I'm not gonna just single it out to rotation help though i think that probably should be the goal as a starter under team control i would also look at the bullpen as well and see if you can find an arm that you really like and when i look at the pitchers that you're targeting it's got to be pitchers that have swing and miss stuff like that's the thing that they've got to look at when they're acquiring players or they go out and try and trade for somebody is does this guy project to have swing and miss stuff or does this guy have it in his game already because we talk about the model changing the model that they need to change to is by adding pitchers that stuff is electric and misses bats. And that's the issue that they have this year. They don't miss enough bats. So for a successful deadline for me, it's gaining assets for Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Hicks, listen on other pieces on your roster outside of Goldie, Arnato, and Jordan Walker, and then also go out and acquire a controllable arm that has swing and miss stuff that helps you not just this year, but really, I'm not even sure it matters if he helps you this year, but it helps you in 2024 and beyond. Someone asked the question on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Could the Cardinals reasonably trade for Yuri Perez from the Miami Marlins? That, to me, doesn't seem likely because that's an offseason move because the Marlins, frankly, are in a winning window to where they're, they're going to be able to compete this season. And I don't know if it benefits them to trade somebody as unique as that player is for them. But if you look at the White Sox, if you look at the Cleveland Indians, if you look at the Seattle Mariners, those are pieces that you can pounce on. I, As much as I can say that you, you need to get those assets for those pieces that you're selling off, and you do, you got to start the fix of your rotation at the trade deadline. And maybe you're not able to. Maybe teams just aren't willing to make that significant of a move at the trade deadline. But I want to know that you're trying with that. I want to know that, look, Donovan and Newpar are up for grabs right now. And at least hearing from John Mozalek where he says, we're going to be trading players. I, I want to know that the aggressiveness is there of you attempting to fix that. Because what I don't want to hear is, well, we traded Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery and Jordan Hicks, and we got a lot of these prospects back but we just couldn't find a way to get a deal done for something there because then I start to get my concern meters of the offseason being a lot more stressful for you to attack the rotation and the bullpen 
and figuring out your outfield. You still have a lot to do on your task list. You need to start crossing off some of those to-dos, whether it is rotation or start to get some swing and miss stuff in your bullpen. Frankly, I think you can accomplish both of those things via trade deadline. Yeah, I, I think when you look at them, I don't think it necessarily has to be the rotation that they are targeting. I, or Excuse me, not targeting that they have to end up with, because I think if you can kind of get one or two bullpen arms that you really like that you think help you next year, okay, well, there, there's that checklist that you were just talking about where you can check off some of the things that needed to be done in the offseason because this is what the deadline is about for the Cardinals. Yes, it is about acquiring assets for the pieces you're selling off, but it is jump-starting the offseason. And a, a rotation arm is the number one target for sure, but like you said, if, if it is one of those where it's like, man, we really like this arm, but we're not willing to give up Nolan Gorman for it. We're not willing to give up Lars Newbar for it. Then you don't need to be at that puke point just yet. In the offseason, maybe you got to get there, but that puke point is probably for the ace. Not so much an arm that you kind of project to be a number two or a number three in your rotation. But I, I do think like a team like the Marlins, um, a team like Seattle, I think they are going to be willing to move on from one of their potential arms. I don't think... The question of Perez, I don't think it's him. One, he's in the minors getting his innings limit knocked down because they don't want to overtax him. Yeah. But two, he's just too talented. But like someone, I don't, I'm just throwing his name out here. Someone like Braxton uh, Garrett for, or no, excuse me, Eduardo Cabrera, who's on the IL right now, but if he gets healthy, uh, Braxton Garrett, someone like that, high swing and miss stuff, they can trade for a guy like that because why the Marlins need help with their offense. Same with Seattle, they need help with their offense. And it sounds like the market's not really moving yet. So maybe these teams say, all right, we kind of got to do the Montgomery deal that the Cardinals did last year, where we part with a critical piece of our rotation or a high prospect that is close that's got electric stuff. We part with him to go and acquire a cost control bat from St. Louis like a Lars Newbar or a Nolan Gorman. So maybe that is the way that the the Cardinals can win at the deadline is by trying to do basically the opposite of what they did last year with the New York Yankees is instead of acquiring a cost control or acquire a cost control pitcher for another one of their position players, but you go maybe more cost control. So you get a bigger or a bigger arm and more control moving forward. Here's the other thing that they have to answer prior to, and then after the trade deadline is your core good enough to win because what they have in Goldie and Arenado that's great. You've got Wilson Contreras. There's the offense. Depending on who you trade, if Nolan Gorman's still there, Brendan Donovan's still there, Jordan Walker, you know the core is at least good enough to win on the offensive side of things. But is it good enough to take you beyond just getting into the playoffs and start winning playoff series? Because if it's not, well, then you might just need to be honest and upfront that this might be a couple of years process rather than us turning it around for 2024. Because you just don't want to leave that in-between belief that, yeah, we believe we're still in this winning window. If the core is not good enough and it's still a work in progress, then that's the other area you have to address. And I'm not sure your core is good enough to win right now. I don't know if your core is as good as the teams that you're expecting to be in the World Series this season. See, I think it is, and I want to play this cut from Greg Amsner, who was on the opening drive this morning, talking about the Cardinals' core, because I, I tend to agree with him. Here's Greg Amsner on the Cardinals' core. The core of the team is going to stay intact. Why? Because the core of the team is good enough to win the division next year. The core of the team is better than the core of every other team 
in the division. And I know everyone's all over the Cincinnati Reds right now, but it's a game of adjustments. The Dylan Arenados of the world, the Paul Goldschmidt's of the world, they're on adjustment number 243. Ellie De La Cruz hasn't made one yet in his career. Matt McLean hasn't made one yet in his career. So we'll see how the Reds uh, perform going forward. But to assume that they're this juggernaut and they're going to hold the NL Central by the throat for the next five years, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. But I, I agree also, with that. But I, I also can't assume that the Cardinals have this juggernaut of a core that can get it done because you haven't gotten it done over the last couple they of years. have gotten it done in the NL Central. And that's the, that's barely. the important part. Teams no, not barely. barely. They've won the NL Central yeah, handedly. They, they, they were in a competition last season. It took them two years ago a 17-game win streak to win the NL Central. Like, you haven't handedly won the division with your core. No, I. Man, you are just breaking that microphone. Oh, he's officially a goner. I tell you what, hold that thought, T Bone. Fix uh, your I microphone. I was ready to go now. Nope, nope. Hold that thought. Fix your microphone. Is the core good enough to win? We'll discuss on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The core of the team is going to stay intact. Why? Because the core of the team is good enough to win the division next year. The core of the team is better than the core of every other team in the division. I know everyone's all over the Cincinnati Reds right now, but it's a game of adjustments. The the Leonardo's of the world, the Paul Goldschmidt's of the world, they're on adjustment number 243. Ellie De La Cruz hasn't made one yet in his career. Matt McLean hasn't made one yet in his career. So we'll see how the Reds uh, perform going forward. But to assume that they're this juggernaut and they're going to hold the NL Central by the throat for the next five years, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. So that was Greg Amzinger of MLB Network, who was on the opening drive earlier today. And we're continuing the conversation that we just had going into commercial break before Tanner broke his microphone. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis. Is it working right now? It's working. Check one, two, check one, two. I'm Alex Ferrario. I push back on that. Because I don't know if their core is good enough to win the NL Central. I think their core, as it stands now, is going to be competitive in the NL Central. But it's very evident that the Cincinnati Reds are showing up now. Yeah, maybe Ellie De La Cruz and McLean have a little bit of stumble. But they obviously have the talent to win. Pittsburgh is starting to win a lot more. Chicago, who knows what they're going to look like? Because if they're not bringing back Marcus Stroman, they're going to blow it up. But one thing you know is they're always willing to spend money. And then you always got Milwaukee, who's floundering around in the NL Central. But unless you make significant improvements, your core is good enough to compete, but it's not good enough to just run away with the NL Central. I mean, last year was the year that you, quote, ran away with it. You were seven games above Milwaukee. But if I remember correctly, at one point in July and August, we were talking about, man, are the Cardinals going to win the NL Central? Because they stumbled. The year prior to that, you didn't win the NL Central. You were behind the Milwaukee Brewers, and that was with a 17-game win streak. 2020, you didn't win the NL Central. And I'm only going back as far as I can because... The core you have in place is different than those cores before because the core was Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader and Dylan Carlson. But the main pieces of your core now, and correct me if I'm wrong here, T-Bone, Goldie, Arenado, Contreras, Walker, and that, that would be it for me because everything else is kind of an uncertainty with this trade deadline looming. It hasn't been good enough to run away with it with the exception of one season. So, 
unless they do something significant, I'm not sure it's good enough to run away with it next season. I, I would probably throw Michaelis into that core. That's a good one, yeah. And okay. that would be about it. Yeah. But I I will say this, and I, I think this is where the conversation is kind of at, is there are guys that are like on the cusp of are they in this core or not? Nolan Gorman, Mason Wynn, uh, Lars Newtbar. They definitely need to add a starting pitcher that you can say, okay, that's the guy that is in this core. But I, I think they've got the they've got the makings of the core that can do this. Like this offense is good enough to win right this offense is good enough to win right now. They just don't have the pitching to back them. And they just I don't even know if it's necessarily need a pitcher that's in your core, quote unquote, to be a guy that that is the reason you end up winning this division. Offensively they are fine. They've got I mean last year you had Paul Goldschmidt who won the MVP and you had Nolan Arnado who finished third in MVP voting. You had two of the three best players in the National League. Like that itself is enough to say that this core is good enough, in my opinion, to say, okay, you add in a Jordan Walker who is developing and he's had a great rookie campaign and he's only going to get better, along with Wilson Contreras, who's been, he's been about league average offensively, but you expect that to change. Offensively, they've got the pieces to win. And what's been the biggest conversation point over the last couple of years is they didn't have the offense to win a, a championship. They've definitely got a good enough core and with just those offensive pieces to go out and win the division. They have to supplement around it. And Mo even said that in the interview with Martin Kilquin. You know, I'm not planning to move on from our core. We just need to supplement them with talent. And I think what he's referring to is we've got to build a better bullpen. We've got to build a better pitching staff. Maybe you end up getting someone that ends up going into this core and free agency, like a, we'll use Aaron Nola. He's been kind of the placeholder for any conversations we've had. But, yes, I, I do think they've got the right core. Goldschmidt, Arenado, I understand they're older players, and that's been the big thing I've seen on the text line. But they can get back to winning this NL Central next season because of those guys. I don't think it's going to be because the pitching carried them to another NL Central crown. I think it's going to be the pitching helped them get to the NL Central crown. The offense with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado in the middle are the reason they are the 2024 NL champs. You know, when we talked at the beginning of the show where Mo mentioned about them changing their model, they need to change their mindset too. And I think they do because Mo kind of talked about that where Martin asked him, you know, is it just about making the playoffs? Um, and Mo talked about being aggressive and there's difference between spending money and being aggressive and being aggressive in other ways, blah, blah, blah. But I don't care about winning the central anymore, to be honest with you. Like you have, you've got to win it to make the playoffs unless you're going to be one of the wild card teams. But we're seeing if you don't win the NL central, being a wild card team, isn't really going to do you any good. But I, I, it's one thing to know your team's good enough to win the NL central. And that opinion in my, on my side is changing now that Cincinnati seems to have a lot more star power as well as Pittsburgh. But I want to see you build a team that can get beyond the NL central crown. And that's also what I'm not sure their core has the ability to do. But you're right. You can change my mind and a lot of people's minds on the core being willing to get it done by fixing your pitching. Because when I think core, and I think of these successful teams, the Atlanta Braves, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Houston Astros, the New York Yankees, it's not just two guys. It's not just Goldie and Arenado. It's not just Ronald Acuna Jr. and Austin Riley. Because I'm also thinking of Ozzy Albies. I'm also thinking of Spencer Strider. I'm now thinking of Sean Murphy. There's multiple guys that I can name when I'm talking about cores being competitive. And yeah, you're right. Arenado, Goldie, Contreras would be at the top of that list. Jordan Walker is going to be. 
I don't know if I would put a, a Miles Michaelis as a part of that core, but is he in the same conversation as these other teams? It's good enough to get the central, but is it good enough to get the next job done? See, and this is where I think we kind of differ of, I'm not even concerned so much about a playoff wins right now. I'm more concerned of just getting back to being the team that is winning the NL Central, and then you can go from there. But that's a retool. But it, no. That's a retool where now you just got to get to the playoffs, and then we could build a championship. At least from most point of view, it sounds like 2024, we want to I, compete. See, I don't think, I think when he says we want to compete, he says we want to compete, we want to get back to winning the NL Central. I don't think it is, and it's never been the front office's mindset of we're going to be the best team in the National League and go win a championship. I think when he says we're going to compete, he's saying we're going to get back to being the team that is the alpha dog in the National League Central. And I think that's a good starting point for where they need to get back to because I think this was the year where it was, hey, let's see you do something in October. And now that they've had this letdown, this disappointing season where they're probably not even going to finish above 500 and they're now sellers at the deadline, that expectation should change. And I'm not saying that it's changing for the worse. I'm just saying it should be brought down another step because they have to kind of, if you want to call it a retool, they have to readjust, I would say, and change their model, which they just talked about, to where they've got to get back to winning the NL Central before they can go to winning playoff series, if that makes sense. Well, and- they can't skip that first step because they've got to be able to top the Cincinnati Reds. they got to be able to top the Milwaukee Brewers. The Cubs are coming somewhat you gotta be able to top them pittsburgh eh, well they suck anyways but you gotta worry about those other three Better teams you. in your division for now um but they they need to get back to to that quote of what you said of mo saying they got to get back to being competitive i think that is being competitive in terms of taking care of business in their division and then in a couple of years being back on that pedestal of okay let's take that next step maybe but then that again that mindset to me is you're in a little bit of a retool to where you're taking small steps to get back to the window the problem with that retool is if you're going that route where let's just get to the NL Central and then build off of that what happens when after next season let's say you get back to being the NL Central team but you get bounced in the wild card round or you get bounced in the first round in the NLDS well, now you don't have Paul Goldschmidt anymore. And now you are, maybe you do, and Paul Goldschmidt's not the MVP. Well, then now you're resetting the clock again to where it might require you to become the let's make us an alpha team for 2024 and continue to try and retool. See, this is the hard part right now that they're just in this, they're stuck in this in-between of if it is going to be like we're going to compete you're going to have to make yourself an alpha dog and really change your model. But if you're going to take those small steps, then it might be a couple of years before you get there. See, and I don't think they're going to take the small steps. I, I think the – I guess it just depends on what you're viewing, like the deadline as in terms of what they acquire for Monty and Jack. Is that the small steps you're referring to? Because I think that's more of supplementation in terms of – I'm looking at the trade deadline and offseason combined. I, I think I think when you look at like when they sell off Jack and Monty, I think in, in Hicks, that's going to be – adding kind of supplementing the minors with more depth, adding more reinforcements down to the minor leagues and potentially adding guys up to the major league club. But I think they are going to be taking big swings because if you're going to win the NL central next year, and I don't expect the Reds to be big players in free agency. I, but I do expect them to be a team that starts to take that next step from just not being a, Hey, look, is Cincinnati going to be able to repeat this to yeah, Cincinnati's here for the next like, Four to five yeah, years as a their window. 90 win team. But if so, they take a, a further step than you, how much does that impact your plans? It doesn't change your plans at all because they're going to be, I, I do expect them to be kind of that 
alpha model in free agency or at maybe not even free agency, but on the trade market this offseason. Yeah. Because if they're going to say we're going to be competitive in 2024, you can't go into the offseason and make small incremental moves to take those slow steps that you're talking about. And they realize that they are running out of time with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado leading the way. Now, I don't think it's as big a deal as what you were saying of, oh, by 2024, Goldschmidt could be gone. Well, okay, well, you've got Jordan Walker who should be replacing his production hopefully by that point. I mean, Walker looks like the stud that they hyped him up to be. And who knows who's still here past the deadline or after they acquire this starter that's controllable. Maybe Nolan Gorman continues to develop into being a power-hitting lefty bat and looks kind of Kyle Schwarber-esque. Maybe Lars Newbar ends up hitting the ceiling that the Cardinals said he could. And there's still kind of the juries yet to be out on him. So... I expect them to be aggressive this offseason because if they're going to say we're going to be competitive, we want to be competitive next year, I don't know if it's necessarily we want to be like the top team in the National League. I think the bar has to be lowered on that standard to, hey, we got to get back to winning the NLC. I don't think that is, oh, who wants to build a team that's going to win 85 games? There's a chance Cincinnati's going to set that bar at 90 wins. And if you're going to get from a team that could win, what is it going to be, 70, 75 this year? You're going to have to take significant steps in free agency and in the offseason to get close to being back on that level. And I think they want to get back to that level. I don't expect them to just kind of stick status quo or we're going to build this thing slowly. No, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to get back to that 90-win kind of threshold that they like to be at in recent years. So that's why I expect them to be aggressive. And I think offensively they've got the core pieces in place. Yes, I would agree they probably need a pitcher that belongs in this core. But in terms of saying does is the core good enough to win – I think it is. It just needs maybe one more piece. I, I think if if it didn't have an ace, say going into next year, you don't acquire an ace. We saw last year they can win without an ace. They didn't have an ace last year, and they were able to win and get into the playoffs. Yeah, but you had the same rotation this year, and look at how bad it's gotten. So that's where you do have to get aggressive with that front. All of that remains to be seen for this Cardinals team. We'll continue that conversation as we move along. But coming up next, somebody placed a number on what it will take to make the playoffs for a Western Conference team next season. And I'm not buying that number. So we'll discuss next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think this. I think that if, if, if the defense can play better, if the forwards can do a better job defensively, like Craig Bruby's been telling you guys and others, that's not just the defense minutes, it's the forwards as well. If that team defense is there this year, you can take this roster and make the playoffs. Now, can you be first or second in the central? Can you go three rounds? I think you'd have to be playing above your head to be able to do that. But I think on paper with the depth, you know, I think it's a team that can get into the playoffs, whether they can make any noise or not. You know, I I just don't think they're there. So that was Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider for The Athletic. Speaking of the Blues' chances of making the playoffs this year, and frankly, I think a lot of people are on the side of Jeremy Rutherford of knowing that this might take a little bit longer to get back into the playoffs. Frankly, Doug Armstrong has said that same thing. The hope is that we can compete for a playoff spot, but right now we're kind of in this retool mode. But I am on the opposite side. No surprise here. Optimistic that I think they can make the playoffs this season. He thinks he can get, they can get the president's trophy. No, God, no. I know that's not going to happen. I'm not that dumb. I think they can make the playoffs because I think the Western Conference is not as good as it was last season. But Eddie Olchek, who was on with the fast lane yesterday, 
he had a different opinion on what it's going to take to make the playoffs. But in the Western Conference right now, just thinking off the top of my head, you're going to need. I think you're going to need 97 plus points to make the playoffs. So 97 plus points to make the playoffs for. For example, last year, the lowest team that made the playoffs was 95 points. So Eddie Olchek is right on there. That was by the Winnipeg Jets right behind them. Calgary with 93, Nashville with 92. And then you got that next year, which was Vancouver 83 and the Blues at 81. Here's why I disagree. And I would say it's going to be closer to the 92 range because a lot of teams got worse this offseason. Minnesota, to me, is not a 103-point team like they were last year because they've had some significant changes. I think Colorado and Dallas are going to be the exact same team. I think Vegas, Edmonton, and L.A. are all going to be 100-point teams. Seattle, I'm not sure about. I didn't think they were a 100-point team there, and they got worse. But then you get to the next tier, and this is why 97 points seems way too much for me to be a wild-card team. 97 might be what it takes for you to get into the top three. But Calgary, Winnipeg, Nashville, they all got worse this offseason. And frankly, Calgary might be getting worse this offseason if they trade more pieces away. Nashville's rebuilding it. Winnipeg, at least, is probably the most competitive out of them. But they're still potentially going to be trading away Connor Hellebuck. And then Vancouver, who's improved, but still doesn't really seem like they're in that purgatory frame. And then you got St. Louis. And then you got Arizona and the teams that are tanking. So 97 to me seems lofty. Because these, this wild card range that people are fighting for, those teams are going to be, on average, as good as you. Maybe you're a slightly better team because some of those teams have made moves that make them worse. That's why that wild card spot to me is a 90 to 94 point range, which I think is doable for the Blues. I, I would agree with you. I, I think about 90 to 94 is where it's going to be because I think it is so top heavy. And then there's all these teams that are kind of stuck like at near the bottom or the mid-tier, if you want to call it that, which is that last playoff spot. I, I would say about 90-94 is what it's going to take. And, and with that being said, like I, I think the Blues are going to be a team that we are going to have serious discussions about once you get to the trade deadline this year of, man, they're they're kind of right in this. What are they going to do? They've got a, some pieces that could be valuable on the trade market, or will they hold on and try and get into the playoffs and, and call this season really a win or an acceleration of this retool? And with that being said, I still think they're slightly short of getting to that threshold. I think they missed the playoffs again this year, but not by much. But I could see where a couple bounces go your way. Bennington seals you a couple games, yeah. and you end up looking at the Blues and going, wow, they're able to sneak into the playoffs this year. Like, I don't think it's insane to say that. I don't think they're that far off from making the playoffs. And I don't say that because I think they're like a top dog kind of playoff team. I think it's kind of what JR said, where they kind of sneak in. Maybe you make some noise in the first round, but you're kind of on that bottom tier. You're that team that just gets in, and it's kind of because the bottom portion of the Western Conference just isn't very good. Well, and from year to year in the NHL, there are so many weird things that happen. Think about New Jersey before last season, Seattle. Even Vegas missed the playoffs before last season. So, you look at where the Blues are at, and yeah, it was a it was a poor season this past season, but things change so much, and there are always teams that you don't include in contention in the offseason that somehow you're looking at it after the season thinking, how did I underestimate them that much? And honestly... Who, who, who would be that team for you I was in the just West? about to say, in the Western Conference, I know you just said you don't see Nashville coming close to that, you think they got worse. I could see them being that team that surprises really? everybody. Yeah. They lost so much of their offense, though. Like, they are banking on young guys 
taking that massive step forward. Is that not what Seattle did, though? Yeah, but Seattle had guys who weren't used in top roles. Like they, Seattle basically had the Jared McCanns. Seattle got what Vegas got that first year of expansion, where William Carlson was a fourth-line center for Columbus, and he came in and scores 50 goals. Jared McCann was a guy that was a fourth-line player, comes in and scores like 40 goals for them. I'm not sure if Nashville has those guys, because Nashville has a lot of prospects that they're putting in but that position. That's the thing. You don't know. You don't you know. You don't know what they have right now, which makes them a huge question mark, and that question mark could be, holy cow, See the question, we didn't see this coming. The question marks for me would be a Winnipeg team, to where Winnipeg traded Luke Dubois, and they got Velarde and Kupari back from L.A., and I'm like, oh, okay, they got guys that are better than what Dubois was. But the unknown for those teams are still there because Winnipeg is not going to be able to re-sign Connor Hellebuck. They trade him. They're bleeped. Calgary has multiple guys that are not wanting to be there. They're going to have to trade him at some point, at least by the deadline. They're going to be bleeped. So if you've got more teams that are sellers at the deadline, well, then now you're talking about more points being lost because of those position players being traded away. And to be clear here, I'm not saying I think Nashville is going to be good, but I They're can one of those see teams, them yeah. being one of those teams that are like, holy cow, we did not see this coming. Yeah, well, I think there's like four teams that are in that conversation. I think it's Winnipeg, Calgary, Nashville, and St. Louis. Like, you just yeah. don't know what any of those four teams truly are. Like, you can look at the Blues and go, okay, if the defense rebounds, Bennington's numbers will improve, and they've got the offensive depth when you look at their lineup to where maybe they can be a team that makes the playoffs. I, I like what you're saying about Nashville where they're playing young guys, but you just don't know what to truly expect from that. Calgary, maybe they look at and say, you know what, if we're in it at the deadline, let's not sell these pieces. Let's try and go for one more final run. Uh, and then Winnipeg, it, I don't think they're moving Hellebuck. I mean, I know like the rumor is they're doing that. Why? Well, I think we're running out of time to see that move be done because they're going to have to do it before the season sheets are decided. So um, I I just look at it and I think with those four teams, any of those four could find a way to just kind of sneak through kind of these these muddy waters is what I would put these four teams in. And it's just one team's got to make the playoffs. You got to have eight. It's not like they and he's going to go. Let's just go seven this year. No, somebody's going to make the playoffs. And I think it's a team that's going to get in. And and I think it's going to remind me a lot of I think it was two years ago when Nashville got in and they played Colorado, who went on to win the Stanley Cup in the first round. They oh, got yeah. swept in four games. Like, yes, Nashville made the playoffs, but you went into that series going, ooh, they've got no chance. And, yeah. I, and I think that's kind of how it's going to go this year for whoever gets the eighth seed. And I think the Blues are going to be one of those teams that is going to be fighting for that. See, we, we comped it a lot earlier this week to uh, what they had, what was it, two years ago when they got in and they gave Colorado a run for their money. I don't see this team winning 109 games. Like, that's our 109 points. That's not going to be possible for this team. But really, it, it does come down to three or four teams that get that wild card. But the part for me that I just disagree on the Eddie Olchek side of 97 points is, that's four teams that are going to have a lot of roller coaster moments this season. And that means four teams fighting for one playoff spot, which means 97 points isn't going to be what it gets it done. I think Minnesota takes a significant step back this season in the terms of they might be a 97 point team, still think they're better than the Blues. But now you're talking about somebody falling into that wild card spot around the 90 to 94 point range. And I also think, you know, you asked the question of, well, what does Calgary do at the deadline? They could be selling off pieces. I mean, Army could do the exact same thing Absolutely. to where he looks at Vrana. And I think Vrana is the guy that we've been circling all offseason as 
look, you really want a bounce back year from because one, it helps you potentially win and get into the playoffs. But two, if if you can't figure it out in terms of you fall out of the playoff picture, he's a guy that could get you something because he's he got a lot have of guys high, like that. Yeah, he doesn't have a high cap hit. Verona doesn't. Capping in kind of the same way. Those guys don't have two awful of cap hits, and you could potentially move them for more assets. I, I just look at the Blues, and I think they're kind of in that same conversation. I think you're going to get to the trade deadline this year, and I think you're going to see probably. Three of the, these four teams that we're talking about that are right there fighting for that last playoff spot, and I don't think either one of them are going to say, let's go add a piece that helps us get to the playoffs. I think they're all just going to sit pat and go, okay, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that we just get into the playoffs. See, I'll say this. The final team that makes the playoffs in the West is going to be a team that sells at the deadline. They're going to sell pieces off at the deadline and say, let's let's see if we can do something, and they'll for some reason fall into it, and that seems more like the Blues, but you're right. I mean, think of not just Verona, Kapanen, Blay, Marco Scandella. You've got probably four to five pieces that you could once again flip. It's not at the same level that O'Reilly, Tarasenko, and Barbashev were, but that's what you among Calgary and Winnipeg and Nashville are going to become trade deadline time, and that's why that 97-point thing just seems too steep uh, for me. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in about 15 minutes, who's under the most pressure amongst the core for the Cardinals. We'll discuss that, but next we got the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, live on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN SDL. Still seeing a ton of questions about our guy BK. Everything is fine. If you missed it, he and his wife have a new baby boy. Congratulations to them. BK will be back with us on Monday. Let's get to the junk drawer, though. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? So over in Thailand, there is a Burger King that is selling. uh, This just sounds gross to me. A... 20 it's called a real cheeseburger and all it is is literally two buns oh i saw this with 20 slices of cheese what and that is that is the sandwich oh and, and that's that too is much bad for my colon that's too much who has way too much dairy and first again, of all that's... you can't call it a real cheeseburger if there's no burger on it so real cheese sandwich it's fair like, that's a cheese sandwich but they are selling this in thailand so the real cheese that's disgusting burger now, look, I love me some cheese. I'm an Italian. Probably shouldn't have it, just like I shouldn't drink milk. But I do it anyway, despite my uh, lactose intolerance. But I love me some good cheese. Some fresh mozzarella, some cheddar. Oh, yeah. Pepper Jack. Oh, get me some good pepper that's jack. What, that's what I, I go with. I put pepper jack on a lot of stuff. But I've never once said, give me all of the cheese on a sandwich. Yeah, too much. And, I- like... Not not good enough flavor for me. No, I used to do cheese sandwiches when I was a kid, like just yeah. bread, oh, slice of cheese, and put some ranch. I do that every once in a while if oh. I have no time. I put ranch dressing on. Oh, it, never mind. I do it every now. Oh, oh it was good. I do oh, it every yeah. now and then when like there's truly no food in oh, my yeah. apartment. That's that's one like, o'clock right, in the morning when I get home from Blues games and I wrap a piece of cheese yeah. in a bread and I say, "Up oh, dinner." Yeah. I want to hear from somebody that has put themselves through this. The sandwich. Yes. How do you finish yeah. that? I don't know. Because, like, it's 
feel like you'd be like chewing on like a bunch of like I wouldn't say gum, but it'd I mean, be like so thick. You're essentially eating a block of cheese. Yeah, like that's what that is on bread. I, I'm not in on this. I don't know. And look, like, the I cheese enthusiasts. To your point on the cheese like sandwich, I'm in for a great grilled cheese. Like, oh yeah, great grilled cheese with some tomato soup. Ooh. And look, you could put Chef's like kiss. three pieces of cheese on a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, maybe I'm like in. a supreme meal or a uh, grilled cheese, but. I don't How about know if 20? I've ever said 20 slices and of hey, cheese on a sandwich. If that's not enough for you, and you're thinking, you know what I need? More There's cheese. More? There's more? You can add two more slices for 58 cents. Get the bleep out of here. Yeah. Why do they go with two more slices? You already had 20. Let's add two more. I don't know. I, yeah, why what? not just do one? At what point do you say too much cheese? Let, let's take the sandwich out of this. So, like, we've all been to, like, an Olive Garden, right, where they put the, 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 the cheese on top of the salad or when you're cooking at home and you're putting Parmesan cheese on it or mozzarella cheese. When do you say too much? I mean, I like I like for all of the food to just be, like, evenly covered in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not to the point. I just want there to be a, a dusting on yeah. every part of uh, my plate. I'm about where grain is. I like just the perfect little dusting on it because I don't – I don't want too much cheese. There, there is a point where like just that little dusting is perfect. I don't want like a layer. So see, this is it. this is where my wife and I differ a lot. And frankly, we don't fight, but you know we argue over this. When I cook dinner, I'll make like Philly cheesesteak sandwiches for us. I put like a lot of provolone cheese in there to make it real, like you know, sticky kind of. So when you lift it up, you know how Philly cheesesteaks go, right? Where like the cheese strings on it. See, that's too much for me. I don't need that's that. That's too much for her too. She's like, I don't want that much cheese. Yeah. Now, now she doesn't like the substance of cheese. She thinks it's disgusting, just kind of how like sticky it gets. And frankly, she's just not a cheese person. But like certain things call for a lot of cheese. Like my pizzas, I prefer a lot of cheese on that. Oh, see, puppy. I don't. I, I don't want a ton of cheese. I don't want to have tomato soup on my bread when I'm eating pizza. I'd I rather have too cheese. much cheese than too much sauce. Absolutely. Yeah. There's I, there's always too much sauce when you get to a pizza. I don't want either. I don't want too much cheese. You I don't just want too want much bread. sauce. No, no. I want like that perfect, like perfect amount of salt. There's like that perfect no, in between. Yeah, but there's no perfect mix on a pizza. You got to oh, have yeah, a little bit is. more of one or the other. No, you don't. Yeah. No. Because no. when you bite into it, I don't want the sauce push pushing out the side. Oh, see, I could actually get behind. So oh, I guess yeah, I am more no, of a sauce. Yeah, like yeah, I want I'm not like over, but I want a, a nice bit. like spread of sauce. But I want more cheese so that when I bite into it, that's what I'm tasting. You know what? I want to know what the meeting went like when someone brought this to the table and said, "How about we have a sandwich with just twenty slices of cheese?" I want to know how that conversation went. It's got to be like genius. You know what people love? Cheese, and you know what they want more of? cheese but i want to know the idiot that said let's call it but the if ultimate they want two more slices 58 <laughs> yeah. cents i want to know the dummy that said you know what we should call it the ultimate cheeseburger and nobody raised their hand and said uh no burger on that though well somebody on the text line i don't know if this is true 314 said they don't eat cows over there that's fine it's 2023 you got veggie you can make but, a burgers out, out I was of gonna anything say, it's called the uh what, what is it called at burger king when it's the it's the vegan burger yeah what is that's it called? what i'm saying Oh my god. Black bean burger? Yeah, black, whatever no, it is. It's called something, There's but, a ton of different types yeah. of them. Yeah, you make black bean. Hell, put some fish on it. Make it a fish sandwich with cheese. Yeah. I, we don't the, need the block of cheese. Yeah, I don't know how this got through, if I'm just being Frankly, honest. they should call it the constipation sandwich because that's what it is when you've got 20 flights. Better name of than cheese. what they got. Very true on that. Tanner Hendricks and Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. So we talked a lot about what the core looks like for the Cardinals next season. 
Who's under the most pressure to perform to be a part of that core for next season? We'll discuss that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I would like to see Lars Newbar actually play the way everyone was hoping he would play before the season started and, and, and really solidify himself as part of the core. Uh, because as of right now, you know, he's playing well, but he's one, you know, Burleson hot streak away from not playing that much anymore. This is going to be an AAU high school basketball tryout all the way to the end of the year. Who's part of the core? Who we hold on to? Who's going to go into spring training 2024 with a solidified job? And I hope Lars Newbar kind of solidifies himself in the second half that he's standing next to Jordan Walker in the outfield guaranteed opening day next year. So that was Greg Amzinger on the opening drive earlier today talking about who he wants to see solidify a job for next season. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Frankly, that needs to be the Cardinals' decisions past August 1st is let's put players in positions that we want them to be in and see if they're ready to be a Major League Baseball everyday player. Talking Mason Wynn at shortstop, talking Lars Newtbar, Alec Burleson, Juan Yepes, seeing what they are for this team. You need to figure it out. But going into that final stretch for 2024, the question maybe isn't who's a part of that core, but who's under the most pressure to be a part of that core? Because Lars Newtbar might be my answer for how uncertain your outfield is. But I got to be honest, Tanner, there's a lot of guys that could fall into this conversation. I'm talking multiple names in that bullpen for you. Steven Matt should be in this conversation if he's a part of this rotation core for next season. And then you go to position players. I mean, I know it sounds crazy to say, but what is Nolan Gorman? Is Nolan Gorman solidified as a core piece for you? Or is he just going to be that bat, that DH presence, and then you get to Lars Newtbar? So there's a lot of guys going into the season that you'd say they are they're under some heat in terms of showing that they want to be a Cardinal for 2024. And I don't even know if it's, I, I think the heat starts Friday and it ends by the time we get to the would deadline. Would you say the heat is on? I would the actually. The heat is on. Sorry. I would actually say that, but I, I think you've got I, Newbar, Gorman, Herrera. Those would be the three that I would say are under the most quote unquote pressure to You'd prove that they belong in, in this conversation. I, I think so because I think he's going to be here for post Kisner rein, reinstatement <laughs> from the IL. <laughs> I, I would I would take out Herrera and I'd put Carlson there. But go on with what you're talking about. I, I think Car- I think it's fair to put Carlson in here too. Um, I just think they've already made their decision on Dylan Carlson. Yeah, it sure sounds because, like it. And this comes all the way back from when we had the chance to talk with Mo. I don't even remember when this was. It's been a month, maybe two, and he made some comments that basically made it sound like a hey, O'Neill. Not in our future. Carlson, don't sound like he's in our future as well. So, But I, I think Newpar, Gorman, and I would say Herrera are the three that keep an eye on going into the trade deadline because I, I think all three still have something to prove to say, hey, you don't want to move on from me because it would be a grave mistake. I think right now, though the Cardinals would look at it and say, we really don't want to trade Gorman, we really don't want to trade Newpar. I don't know if that's the case for Herrera, but I think he can play his way into that conversation. Yeah. Um I think they look at those guys and go, we really don't want to trade them, but you know what? 
we're not sure it's one of those trades that we're going to really bite the bullet on down the road if we can go get a controllable arm. I, I think they looked at Newpar coming into the year and expected him to really take off and hit for average, get on base at a good clip, and really slug the baseball. And he's hitting for decent average. He's at 259 here at the All Star break, and his on base is good at 358. He's just hitting for no power, and that's why his OPS plus is at 104, which is just 4% above league average. Like, that's not the guy that the Cardinals sold him to be. The Cardinals were telling you, hey, we think this guy can be a part of our outfield configuration for years to come, and right now I'm not sure he's really taken off and proved them right about that. And with Nolan Gorman, yes, his average is down. He's hitting for really good power, but only 8% above league average at a 108 OPS plus. And if you say... Gorman has a ton of value across the league. We can go get something for him. And though, yes, it will sting, is a trade that we're going to look back on and really regret. I'm not sure they're at that point. And they can just say we can plug Brendan Donovan in now as an everyday second baseman who might be better defensively, is going to get on base and serve as a leadoff man. And we can just replace Gorman's power in free agency on one-year deals with a left-handed power bat. Or someone like Jordan Walker ends up taking his power production as he starts to mature into his body. So I think those two guys are under the most pressure in terms of up until the deadline, they really need to play well to kind of help solidify the case of don't trade me and then I'll prove you right after the deadline in the last two months of the season. So going into the next year, you know, okay, Nolan Gorman is our everyday second baseman and he's that for years to come. Same with Lars Newbar. He's our everyday right fielder, center fielder, left fielder, wherever you want to put him in the outfield. He can play all three spots. We know he's going to be that guy for us. And the reason I threw Herrera into this conversation is because I think he's got more upside as a potential backup than Andrew Kisner. Because if his bat can developed to the major league level and he's improved his uh pitch sequencing working with the pitching staff his framing which looked better in just the small very 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 small sample size we saw of two games this past weekend there's more upside to him than andrew kisner and i think he kind of put himself into i don't know if core is the right word but put him in himself into the conversation of yeah we shouldn't move on from this guy because he can be a every or he can be a quality backup for us that provides some offensive upside and it's clear the Cardinals want to get Contreras out from behind the plate not in terms of as a starter but get him more DH days than what they typically had or what they were used to when they had Yadier Molina for me it's pretty simple in terms of pressure it's one of Newt Barr Carlson under the most pressure I should say because the glaring hole beyond the pitching for this team is your outfield Jordan Walker obviously defense is still improving he's going to be one of your corner outfielders You've got to figure out what the other two spots are. And if Lars Nupar and Dylan Carlson don't show that they are a piece of that core, well, now you got two spots that you're trying to figure out what to do with in that outfield for next season. So one of those guys has to take that spot and basically say, bleep that, I'm your outfield of the future. Kind of like what Steven Matz did in his last out. The second half, one of those two guys has to perform up to the level for this Cardinals team. Otherwise, you've got more problems to deal with. So I would say pressure, as much as I think Nolan Gorman has a little of that to start to show that that bat is consistent enough to be in the core, because we all know the power's there, but you're going to have to be consistent if you want to be a part of this. Brennan Donovan has already solidified it, but he might be on his way out just because of the trade. Tommy Edmonds in that same spot. Uh, I like the Yvonne Herrera one, but I just don't know what the role is for him. Newtbar or Carlson are going to have to take that opportunity and run with it, because if not... You don't have you don't have 
you have one outfielder next season, and that's a problem for this Cardinals team if you can't accomplish the swing and miss stuff for your pitching staff. You might have two. It just depends on how they view Tommy Edmond. Because but I think you could. I, I still I don't know if they seen, view Tommy Edmond as an everyday outfielder next season. I think they kind. Well, I think that's fair. I think you're right there. I don't know if they view him as being a guy there, kind of in the long term, but they definitely view him as a, a guy that can play the outfield and be an everyday guy if they absolutely need to. Because he was playing center field when everybody was healthy just recently until he went on the I.L. Right. with his uh, wrist injury. But I, I think their conversations are going to be around the deadline where they've got to pick, whether it be the deadline or the offseason. We've got to pick between Lars Newbar and Nolan Gorman. Which one belongs in this core that we're building that's going to come up and be going to be here and contributing while we've got Goldie and Arenado, Arenado under contract, but we'll also be here with Walker and Wynn as the kind of that next core that gets the baton passed to them when Goldie and Arnado's time is up. I think they've got to choose between those two. I don't think you part with both of them. I, I just don't see that because I think both are good players. But which one is going to be the one that can go from good to great or good to really good major league player that you haven't been able to develop recently out of your minor league system. So bringing up Wynn's name, and we've just been talking about some of these kind of fringe players, brings us to another topic. Who's untouchable? We asked Kyle Reese this. We asked John Denton this. The untouchables for this team, and Reese mentioned Tim Kentz would be the one that would be toughest for him to move on from. Uh, John Denton really said, like, not sure there is an untouchable on this Cardinals team. That's where I fall. With the exception of Jordan Walker, because I would say Jordan Walker, there's no way I'm moving him, even for the best piece that you're going to offer. I think you're going to need that. Nobody is off off the table for me. And, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include Mason Wynn in this. As much as I think Mason Wynn is going to be a really talented piece for this team, I also know he could gain you the best return in terms of a starting pitcher, if that's what you absolutely need. And you got a lot of infielders. Is it going to look pretty with defense if you have to stick with Tommy Edmond at shortstop or or move Brendan Donovan or get Paul DeYoung or go out there and sign a veteran? No, it's not. But if I'm getting back a cost-controlled young pitcher who can be an ace for me, I'll listen. And Tink Hentz, as much as I don't want to move on from that and have another Sandy Alcantara 2.0, it depends on what the return is. I'm not sure there's an untouchable beyond Jordan Walker for me going into this August 1st trade deadline and then into the offseason. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't. I think Walker is the only piece that in terms of trading out to go and acquire a major league ready talent. If we're talking about like selling pieces like Goldie, Arnato, Michaelis, Michaelis more so just because I'm not sure there'd be much people interested in him. Those are the three that are not sellable pieces. I, I look at the guys that you're looking at in terms of trading for starting pitching help or bullpen help. I think Walker is the only guy that's untradeable. Now, with that being said, I think there's a very high bar to be cleared for Mason Wynn or Tinkins to be involved in any package, and that is that the guy you are acquiring is an ace. I think you can kind of piece it together at shortstop if you had to, if you had to move Wynn to go out and get a quality arm that you think is a ace in this rotation same with tink hints if you part with tink hints to go get an ace you basically just you're, accelerated your timetable yeah, for that ace it, because right. you think tink hints can be an ace in this rotation but you're three years away from that being the case because he's probably got two more years in the minors and probably a year to develop at the big leagues this would accelerate that so that's the reason i would say he's un, not completely untouchable but it is a very high bar to clear in terms of hey if you want win or you want hints in any package 
this better be one hell of an arm I'm getting back, and he's going to be a front-end starter and a front-end starter for years to come. I think you have to operate that way, where nobody's untouchable, and that maybe also is the point that Mo was making of changing the model. You can't look at this and say, well, we really don't want to give him up. Yeah, we don't, but what's coming back in return? Because that might make our decision a little bit easier. 314-399-9646 is our Air Comfort Service text line. Also, our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Send us your Believe It or Not scenarios. We'll sing it next on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. On a cloudy, two weeks in a row with no BK. Grant, you better step it up here, baby. I'm out. (laughs) Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not. It's just me. 314-399-9646. I have a moment of honesty real quick. Yeah. You know, BK a while back was complaining about hearing and all that stuff. Yeah. Your guys' stuff is heard differently than what mine is. And I can tell when I'm singing because I sound a lot better on those crying, over there than I do here. If we had here. a crying baby drop, I'd use it right now. Oh. You're just filling that spot for BK I while he's out, huh? just recorded you while we were in Nashville. Sing, I gotta go to bed. Yeah, look, man. When you work as BK hard as I do, you got to get your beauty yesterday. sleep. Don't even get me started on that one. I made it past 10 o'clock, too, when I had a newborn. You know why? Because I was awake with the kid at that time. 314-399-9646. That's our Air Comfort Service text line where you send us your Believe It or Not scenarios. We will tell you if we believe it or we don't believe it. Let's start with this. Believe it or not, the Cardinals will have their outfield solidified in terms of the three guys that they're using every single day or almost every single day by the start of spring training 2024. Wait, repeat that again? Sorry. I got a text from BK. I was wondering what he was saying. I'm sure both of you are whining about how you can't hear. The Cardinals will have their three outfielders, their three starting outfielders solidified for the start of the 2024 spring training season. Like there's no competition in spring for that job? I don't know if I fully understand the yeah, believe it like, or not. Like you, like you know for a fact, like we did when it was Bader, Carlson, and O'Neill. you know who the three starters are. There's no argument in terms of who they are. I'm not going to believe it because I could see where they decide to do that again with the outfield, where it is Walker solidified, maybe Newbar is solidified, and then they have to figure out what they want to do at center field. Um Actually, no, I'll, I'll believe it. I can see where they actually do go out and acquire. If they believe in Newtbar, which I think they might, I can see where they go. Walker, Newtbar are solidified, and they go out and sign someone on like a one-year deal to play center field. I don't know who that name is, so I'll believe this. See, I don't think I'm going to believe it. It was sort of a crapshoot this year. I don't see a reason for it not to be this upcoming season. I want to think. I think they want to see what they have in players and then go from there for the outfield, so the, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe this one either. I, I think you're going to know two of them, and then you're going to be arguing about that third one because the Tommy Edmund thing is going to come back up. They're going to say, well, we think Tommy Edmund can compete for a center field spot. You're going to have some type of player that they bring in via trade or off season that they're going to say could fight for it. I don't know if that's going to be as solidified. And if you look at the free agent market in terms of outfielders, 
there is not one person that you look at and you say, oh, yeah, that's definitely somebody they're going to go after. So I'm not going to believe this one. T-Bone, what do you got for Believe It or Not? Believe it or not, Nolan Gorman will be a part of the Cardinals past the trade deadline. Nolan Gorman will? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to believe this one because I think if he's dealt, it's going to be in the offseason. I don't think it's going to be a trade deadline move for Nolan Gorman because they'll they'll want to see if he's a piece of the core. If there's a position player on this year's roster that gets moved at the deadline, I think it's going to be one of Donovan, Edmund, Newt Barr, or Carlson. So I'm going to say not believe this one. I'm kind of torn because I know I just said that I think the outfield solidified. I could see where Newt Barr ends up being the the bat that is dealt trade one because i think he's got a higher ceiling than or a higher what would you call higher value than nolan gorman because when you think ceiling for gorman you talk about power probably not hitting for a ton of average but it's got like 30 40 home run potential from the left side when you talk about like the ceiling for newt you're talking about a guy that's got like 20 home run power he's got speed to steal like potentially 20 bases maybe 15 and then also a guy that's gets on base at a high clip maybe doesn't hit for average but gets on base at a high clip which we're seeing this year so i'm not gonna believe this i think if they're gonna go for a big time arm at the deadline it would be newport that is the one that's dealt so i think there's a chance that gorman's still here past the deadline grant what do you got for believe it or not for us today all right guys so last season in the nhl there were two teams that had 40 point improvements from year to year it was the kraken and the devils Believe it or not, for next season, wow. there's going to be a team with a 40-point improvement. Did you say a 40-point improvement? Yeah, so I'll tell you right now, the Devils had 63 points in 21-22. They had 112 last season, and then Seattle had 60 points the year before and had 100 this past season. 40 points is yeah, freaking insane. I'll believe this one, though, because it's going to be Columbus. That's exactly who I just kind of mm. looked at. As Columbus is going to be the 40. Columbus, man, 99 points, though, is insane to say but columbus bringing in babcock getting health on their defense with their number one guy so you think they're making the playoffs yeah i do you have adam fantilli who's going to be playing at their center position and you brought in two more defensemen columbus is going to be a significantly changed team so i would say they're going to be my 40 point better team i I'll believe this because I could see where Columbus does it. I because I I thought they were. There's nobody else that, that could fall into that yeah, conversation. No, like Montreal's not doing it. No, one Philly. If they did forty points, <laughs> that'd be one hell of a turnaround. They did forty points. Kevin Hayes must have been a real problem for, for them, like, which is not good for the Blues. Arizona's not going to one ten. San Jose's not getting to a hundred. Chicago though they'll be better with Bedard. They're not improving forty points. Anaheim same way. So I'll believe it. I, I do think Columbus is a team that's got a shot to fight for the playoffs and I'll take kind of the upside for them. I, I didn't think they were that bad last year. Like when, when I say that, I don't mean like 59 points. No, they couldn't have been that bad. I mean, yeah. like that team was better they than were, what they ended up. The record showed. they were bad, but they were missing all of their players. I mean, yeah. you, you talk about them missing their number one defenseman, which name is surpassing me right now. Um, Gavrikov, right? No, not Gavrikov. God, who was the other one? He yeah, was on traded. the injured list. Um, but regardless, they brought in Severson from the or from the New Jersey Devils. Brought in another defenseman, so their top six is solidified. They've got decent goaltending. You add in Fantilli. Uh, they're going to be a really good team. 99 points, though, is going to be a really tough accomplishment, but they're going to be the one that gets closest to that. I'm not going to believe it. I think Columbus will be improved. I don't think by that much, though, and I'm with you guys on the sense that I don't think any other team could even come close to a 40-point improvement. So I am 
going to say I don't believe this. Who's uh, was Zach Warinski? That's oh, I couldn't yeah. think of what his name was. But they got Provorov too from right uh, from Philadelphia, so they're going to be a really good team. All right, from the six three six. Believe it or not, Mason Wynn is used to acquire their starting pitcher, and the Cardinals signed another ace in the offseason. Then they reunite with Bader in the offseason. Good God, they believe it or not, with an entire offseason checklist. So Wynn's traded for a starting pitcher. They signed the ace and bring back Harrison Bader in the offseason. Believe it or not. I'm not going to believe it. And I think it's the win part that I'm not going to believe. I think they're going to be very hesitant to trade Mason Wynn. And if you're saying they're signing an ace in the offseason, I'm assuming Nola, Snell, someone of that ilk this offseason. I don't think they're trading for an ace as well. So I'm not going to believe this. And again, if you're trading Wynn, you're trading him for an ace. So I, I don't see this scenario happening. I, I like the idea, though. I, I do. I like the yep. idea of signing the ace bring back Bader to potentially help the outfield defense. I'm just out on the idea of trading Wynn because I'm assuming they're trading him for like a number two or number three. I would say not believing this one because I think what would happen is take Mason Wynn's name out and add in another prospect. That's how you acquire your young starting pitcher. You do sign the ace, but I'm also not believing they bring back Harrison Bader. I, I just don't see them doing that. If anything, they're going to stick with who they've got and they'll bring in somebody else or they'll let Tommy Edmond play the center field position. I don't see them willing to pay the money for Harrison Bader to bring him back after you traded him away. Yeah, I don't see them wanting to part with Mason Wynn. I just, I don't see that. So, yeah, I'm not believing it either. Uh, Believe it or not, from the 636, we should have traded away Carlson as part of the package for Soto. I mean, are you okay with then probably parting with Walker or Wynn? Yeah. Like that, I, so I know Carlson's the guy that everybody centers on. On, I can't believe you didn't trade Carlson it's for Juan Soto. Just because Mo said we're not moving Carlson, like that's the only reason they they hone in on Dylan Carlson. So I'm not gonna believe this. Look, look, if if Carlson and Win were the pieces that could have gotten Juan Soto, and I'm keeping Jordan Walker, yeah, I would have traded him, and I would believe this one. But I don't believe it was just those pieces. I think Probably. you had to throw in Walker, too. Yeah. And I, I think the package they were looking for was something along the lines of, like, Walker or Win with Carlson, with Hintz, with insert another prospect yeah. here. Like, I mean, look at the haul that they got. Yeah. You would be having to give that up because if you weren't, San Diego was still going and, to acquire him from them. And, and I continue to go back on this with the Soto and the Murphy deal. And look, I'm not saying that those guys don't help this offense because they, they do. The problem is, is, you know what they don't do? They don't pitch. And with this pitching staff, no matter who you put on this offensive team, if you insert Juan Soto's name for Dylan Carlson, I don't think this team is significantly better. I think there are a Sean couple Murphy wins might better. at least help them a little bit more on the catching side of it. I don't even think so. Because, like, though Contreras has been bad defensively, I don't think he's, like, the reason the pitching staff has been horrendous this season. Yeah. So I just look at it and I say no matter who you put in there, if you insert Juan Soto to this outfield, maybe they're, like, one, two, maybe at best three wins better. I'm getting emotional. You get emotional about about it. It's okay, buddy. But I, I, don't, I don't think it's soon. like a significant change to where we're talking about them being a championship caliber team yeah. or a team that's atop the NL Central right now. Let's do this final one. Believe it or not, uh, who posted this one on our YouTube chat? I want to give them the name. Oh, yeah. Chad sent it in. Believe it or not, the Blues give Dvorsky a nine-game trial before sending him back to Sweden. This year, I'm I'm not going to believe that. I, I think they want him to real. – they're going to be very – um, cautious when is cautious the right word? Mm-hmm. They're going to take their time sure, yeah. with developing mm-hmm. Dvorsky. They don't want to rush him to the NHL because he's their first top ten pick in what's it been? How many years? Fifteen years, something like that. So they're going to take their time in developing Dvorsky. Maybe they would kind of explore this route next year, but they've now got the fourth depth line. They've got enough 
depth with their forwards that they're, I don't think they're going to try this this year. I was going to say the exact the same thing. I don't see it at all happening for this upcoming season, but for next season, I could see the nine game tryout and then who knows, depending on how he does in Sweden this season, maybe they are hoping for even more than a nine game tryout in two years from now. And if I'm not mistaken, you don't have to do a trial for guys before you send them back to Sweden. Like you keep from half the year and it's just not work and then send them back to Sweden. It's different than juniors hockey, but yeah, it's not happening this year. There's just no spots. Now you brought in Sunquist. It's very evident. They don't want any of their young players playing on the NHL roster to start the season. And that's including Zachary Dean, who I thought was going to not anymore. They're very evident in taking their time with these guys. So next season would be more likely for that one so i'm not believing that tanner hendrickson graham francis i'm alex ferrario speaking of depth cardinals don't have it in their bullpen has that been the bigger issue for this team this season over starting pitching we'll discuss next here on bk and ferrario on 101 espm we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn The runner goes from second to third on a tapper back to the mound, and it's overthrown. One run's going to score, and here comes the game winner. How do you like that? It's a Marlins walk-off win. So I'm going to ask this question, um, and frankly, from that audio cut that T-Bone just used, you're going to know the answer to it right away. But overall this season, has the bullpen been more of an issue for the Cardinals than the rotation? And it seems like a crazy question, T-Bone, because every time we talk about the Cardinals and their struggles in the first portion of the season, it's, well, their starting pitchers haven't been good enough. Look at the blow-ups by Michaelis early on, and Steven Matz got pushed to the bullpen, and Adam Wainwright hasn't been great. But for every situation you could tell me about the starting pitching— I can give you about three situations where a blown save took place or the game was close and then the bullpen obliterated that lead for the Cardinals, whether it was Palante or Verhagen or Housley or Gallegos. And then you've had the blunders on the mound when it comes to the Cardinals pitching. But you dove even deeper into that and you went the BK route to come up with some numbers on how bad this bullpen got out of hand. Yeah, and and the reason I dove into these numbers was I, I want to play this cut from Mo first where he was talking about, he was asked by Martin Kilcoin in the Kilcoin conversation on scoops with com about the offense being unable to outscore their pitching problems and his answer is what really got me thinking. It's not only just like bad performance on the pitching side it's just when it's happening too it can be quite deflating when you go into the seventh eighth or ninth inning with a lead and you can't hold it um i mean we've experienced that here in the past where um we've we've struggled at the back end of a game but you find solutions for it but you know i think losing helsley you know really hurt us Um, obviously hicks has stepped up but it's just every time you lose somebody out of that that bullpen especially that that could handle high leverage it, it hurts. And um, I think, you know, no matter how much depth you build, it's still always being tested. That early portion of his answer where he says, quote, it's not so much our bad pitching, it is the timing of our bad pitching and losing those leads in the seventh, eighth, and ninth and being deflating. We know the Cardinals have have blown a lot of saves, 21 to be exact, which is worst in Major League Baseball. Last year at this time, they had 11 blown saves. If the Cardinals were just sitting at that blown saves mark of 11 and were to win those games, that's 10 extra wins this year and 10 losses that come off the sheet. And you're talking about a team that's possibly 
48 and 42 going into the all-star break and is sitting right around the top of this division. So though I'm not taking away any of the blame from the rotation. Yes, the rotation needs to be better. The rotation has been bad. I'm starting to lean towards this bullpen's blowups have been a bigger issue for the Cardinals because most kind of right. It, there are times where the rotation doesn't pitch well and the offense has kept them in some of these games. The problem is, is then when you're hoping that, okay, man, we got to go to this bullpen. Our starter doesn't have it. The bullpen's bad, and the bullpen can't hold on to any lead that the Cardinals' offense is giving them, and that is kind of deflating. Kind of, You see it slump the shoulders of the St. Louis Cardinals' offense. So not trying to take away any of the blame from the rotation, trying to add more blame to the to the bullpen, causing some of these issues that it have been for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, for me, it's a 50-50 split. I mean, I look at it and see the rotation and know exactly what Mo is saying in terms of, yeah, the blowups that have taken place, whether it's been a one-run deficit and Palante comes in and gives up five runs that next inning, or you get to the ninth inning and Jordan Hicks airmails a ball over the first baseman's head to lose the game. But it's piece by piece because the first month of the season, you didn't have a starting pitcher who could give you four innings. You were talking about being down by five, six, seven runs early on. And then it started to improve and then your offense dissipated. And then the starting pitching would still give up three runs and your starting pitching wouldn't show up. And then your bullpen imploded. And the bullpen piece to me, it, it is kind of tied in just in terms of, and look, I'm not saying that there's an innings deficiency for the starting pitching. We've talked about that. You're getting plenty of innings from your starting pitchers right up there with some of the top teams in major league baseball. But when you lose the guys that most talking about, you have to go to the same players, but how many times this season have they had to go to the bullpen early because a starting pitcher has either struggled or, or has not given them the proper innings, and you want to try and get out of that to limit the damage. See, I don't even want to hear that excuse on the bullpen. The bullpen just has to be better because, though I I understand where a lot of people come from, and I've heard a lot of people preaching from the moon at like 7 a.m. about how there's not enough innings from this rotation. Okay, but that's not baseball anymore. Tampa Bay has the second fewest innings from their rotation, and hey, I wouldn't mind having Tampa Bay's rotation. I wouldn't mind being the Tampa Bay Rays right now, being the best team in the American League. It's not so much about the amount of innings the rotation is giving this team because I'd be okay with five guys that are five and dive if I have an electric bullpen behind them. It's about the inefficiency of the innings that the rotation is providing. It's a lack of success that the bullpen has when they come into the game, whether it's a high leverage spot or not. They just have not been good enough for the Cardinals to sustain any success. So it's not so much that the rotation is wearing down this bullpen. No, the bullpen's just not good enough. And and that's where we talk about they've got to adjust this bullpen. They've got to make a significant change to the bullpen when they get into the offseason. They've got to add swing and miss to not just the rotation, but more of it to the bullpen and have more high leverage elite arms that they can throw to. Because right now, with Helsley out, as Mo said, there's two arms that are quote unquote high leverage, and that is Geo and Jordan Hicks. You need like four to five of those arms to have success nowadays and have a successful bullpen. I'm with you. And I also think that's why I'm, it's a 50-50 split to me because you've been you've been trying to wheelchair your way through the season with a rotation of three guys. 
It's Flaherty, Montgomery, and Michaelis. And then after that, you're talking about it's a wild card to figure out what happens, whether it's Wayno or Woodford or Libertor and Stephen Matt's experience. All of that has made things a lot more difficult for them. And that's why, as much as I can say, and somebody uh, messaged in and said 18 leads given away after the seventh inning, bullpen is the biggest problem. Absolutely, it's been a huge problem. But I could say the same thing for the starting pitching. So let's go down the path that at the trade deadline, they do bring in some assets that could become a part of that bullpen. You add some reinforcements does anybody still believe that this team could make a run towards the end of the season like they did in 21 like mo basically said they're not making trades unless it's for 2024 so if they do make those trades and they get some success do they go on some type of run in the second portion of the season because frankly i don't believe they will and i don't want them to i would much rather them be bad the rest of the way and give quality opportunities to certain players than sit there and say well we're going to make a run still even if we traded pieces away well i i wouldn't mind seeing them go on a run you know why because it's more fun to cover the team and watch them every night but i i look at it not so much of the opportunities they're going to be giving players because i think they're going to do that and it's not about winning or losing because when you say we're making trades for 2024, you're not trying to compete for 2023. If you're doing that, you would say we're adding reinforcements for this roster. So I look at it as they're looking to bring in pieces at this deadline. And if they go on a run, it's just one of those where it's like, hey, that was a happy bonus. We didn't even intend to do that. And we did. So, I no, I, I don't think they're going on a run. Would I like to see them go on a run? Absolutely. Because I'd much rather be watching playoff contending baseball than the garbage we watched in the first half of the season where it's not even competitive. So I hope you get energy from some of these guys that you're giving opportunities to. That would be what I'd want most out of it. And if you get a 17 game win streak out of it, fantastic. But I want that win streak to be because you're seeing Yvonne Herrera get more opportunities and the outfield is starting to be a little bit more solidified and you're giving some innings to certain guys that you're trying to figure out. If you get that type of reemergence, that's about as exciting as you can ask for for the remainder of the season for the Cardinals. Tanner Hendricks and Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind and give you a chance to win Cardinals Bud Bash tickets next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. your opportunity to win Cardinals Bud Bash tickets now. Your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash Cardinals and Marlins. The Bud Bash game features a limited edition Brad Thompson bobblehead. So to win, you need to be texter 101 and tell us the price of the cheeseburger sandwich that we talked about in the junk drawer from Thailand. How much it cost if you wanted two extra slices of cheese on that sandwich. This is a tough one today. So you tell us the price of those two extra slices of cheese and be texter 101 to our air comfort service text line 314-399-9646. You will be the winner of Budweiser Bash tickets, Cardinals and Marlins to get all the details on the season series of Budweiser Bash Cardinals games now at cardinals.com slash 
promotions. As we close things down with our rewind today, we go back to how we opened and really the comments from John Mozeliak yesterday with Martin Kilcoin talking about how the mindset, the model is going to have to change for the Cardinals moving into this trade deadline and offseason. For those that might have missed it, Martin Kilcoin talking with John Mozeliak on their uh, conversation, the podcast up at scoopswithdannymack.com. Mo basically said we're not worried about draft picks, meaning the qualifying offers. Not really concerned about that with Montgomery and Flaherty. We will be trading away players. It just depends on who. And then talked about focusing on 2024, not waving the white flag in 2023. The model, if it is changing for the Cardinals, means aggressiveness and means fixing your pitching problems, T-Bone. Yeah, and, and we we talked about this off air. We may bring this on air tomorrow where we talked about how is – this different between Mo and Army in terms of how they've kind of approached what they're going through right now, two disappointing seasons, what they're going to do. And I I actually think Mo's been pretty open and honest about what the plan is for the St. Louis Cardinals, even though he's getting blasted for it. You just mentioned it. They're going to be trading players. It's not going to be the core players. It's not going to be Goldie, Walker, Arnado. Uh, it, it, will they be trading some of their good pieces that kind of supplement that core possibly depending on what's out there but they're going to be trading players and they've admitted that they were wrong this year and they're going to change their model and that is something that was kind of a question mark for us is will they change the model that they operate under going into the season and they were asked that in winter warm-up i believe it was they were asked and it was you know this season will kind of test the model and we'll go from there well the test shows it failed so the change of the model is something that i'm excited to hear that the cardinals are going to that they are going to look to change and be competitive in 2024 which is what they have said as well to where i think they're going to either be do some significant spending on this rotation in free agency now i'm not saying it's going to be like they're going to go out there and get two of the top arms like aaron nola and blake snell but i wouldn't be shocked if they are interested in nola in Blake Snell, uh, in the trade market for a Bieber or a Dylan Cease in the offseason. Also going into the lines of, all right, we now have got to give a one two-year contract to a guy that's got some upside with swing and miss stuff that may have a four ERA, but if it hits, it could be like the Andrew Heaney contract that the Texas Rangers signed or the kind of contract Nathan Avaldi signed with the Texas Rangers. So I, I'm glad to hear that they are admitting that this has gone awry and it is time to adjust this model. And I think they will, and I think they will be super aggressive this offseason. This offseason, unlike where the Blues were, where with this past offseason, they were kind of stuck with their contracts and the cap didn't really go up. So we kind of knew, eh, the offseason, we'll see if Army's able to pull off some great trade, which he did in Kevin Hayes. But you knew he couldn't be aggressive in free agency. I think the Cardinals are going to be super aggressive in free agency and on the trade market to where the offseason is going to be a lot of fun to watch and see what they do. Yeah, that's the difference, uh, at least for me. And again, we can get into this tomorrow, the Cardinals and Blues. If if the Blues and the NHL ran the way that Major League Baseball is, where it's not a matter of a cap, it's just who wants to spend the money up to the luxury tax, uh, you might be in a different spot than what they were in. But actions speak louder than words. And Mo is saying the right things. But you're going to have to back that up. And what your actions are are going to tell you what direction they're going in of. Are we going to build this to really be competitive and keep this winning window open? Or are we going to start this retool process where we start to bring in some ways to change the model and the pitching side of things and rebuild it from there? Because that's where it's all going to begin. It, it, it has nothing to do with, you know, 
fixing the outfield or making some type of trade to get a center field or deciding on who your second baseman is. That has nothing to do with any of this. And it has everything to do with your pitching, rebuilding that rotation and figuring out who fits into that bullpen. That's how you change the model. And frankly, the model comes down to, are you willing to be aggressive and are you willing to join the competition for arms that everybody else wants. And I don't even think this is a retool. I think the Cardinals told you it's not a retool because if it was, they wouldn't tell you they're not trading any of their core players because they would put Paul Goldschmidt on the market. Where it is kind of a retool is the rotation. And I think that's just more of not even a retool, but a fix. You got to go fix the rotation. So I think they've told you it's not a retool. They are planning to win next season and be the top team in the NL Central. And again, it comes down to what you're deeming as winning. For people that say, well, are they building to win a World Series next year? I think you have unrealistic expectations. I think next year is about trying to get back to winning the NL Central, and then you start from there and build up from that point. But didn't Mo put those expectations on the team a couple of years ago? No. Calling it a winning window? I don't think so, because I don't think... I thought when they acquired Nolan Arenado, and I'd have to go back and listen to what he had said, but I believe he talked about this is the start of a winning window for the Cardinals organization with Jordan Walker on the rise, with the certain players that we have in place. I thought that they viewed it as this winning window that is being in the competitiveness, and you haven't accomplished that, and now you're talking about trying to get back to that. Like, it's stepping stones for me. Now you're trying to just get back into the playoff contention, and is that enough to take that step on top of being competitive for a World Series? I think so. I I think the winning window was to kind of get themselves back into that playoffs every year and then get into that conversation of becoming a World Series contender because at the time, remember, they had Ozuna and it was kind of disappointing years with Ozuna, and then they finally get Arnado to kind of replace his production and be that cleanup hitter for him, and that was that window that you're talking about. And they did get to the playoffs, and then they were taking this quick little U-turn. But I think this is just one of those quick U-turn, and boom, we're back into that playoff conversation next year. I I think the idea of they've got to be a World Series contender every year is just unrealistic. I think you can pick little pockets in that winning window and say that's when they should go on that World Series run. But the fact that they can say, hey, we've won the NL Central, we've gotten in the playoffs this many times in a row— I think that's a big thing for the St. Louis Cardinals. So I, I'm not holding them to they got to get back to World Series expectations next year. They just got to start off by getting back into playoff expectations, and then we can build from there. Start, yeah. a, start a new winning window, if you want to call it that. Well, we'll talk more about that tomorrow. If you missed anything from our show today, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. For Grant Francis, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Thanks for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow from 11 to 2. Fast lane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.